Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Real quick before we dive into today's episode with uh, Doug Duran, I wanted to jump on before our intro and all that stuff to just do a shout out to our sponsors, uh, Spartan Forge. Head on over to SpartanForge.ai and be sure to use code OHP for 25% off of their annual subscription. Um, you know, they're doing a lot for mapping and for deer movement predictability, and they're doing it at a level that I, I've never seen uh, done before. Uh, so stay tuned for more from those guys in the next few weeks. they got some updates they're going to be sharing with us, and we'll be happy to pass that along. We'll be getting into the application and um, looking at all the new goodies that they have in there uh, in the next few weeks. And uh, shout out to uh, Go Wild also. Um, they've done a lot with us this year so far and a little bit last year as well, uh, leading into the new year. And you know, they're doing a lot for the hunting community overall, especially when you consider censorship and things that are going on, uh, you know, on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, where you can't post this, you can't post that. This is censored, that's censored. YouTube's demonetizing people. They're not doing any of those things. It's a welcoming community, um, you know, of hunters, for hunters and outdoorsmen and women and so forth and fishers. So you can post there comfortably without the scrutiny. And you can also reach folks that are more like-minded, um, and able to help you in, with whatever you're trying to learn about, whether that's gear or tactics and, and those types of things. So, you know, be sure to check those guys out. Both of them, Go Wild and Spartan Forge, they've done a lot for us. We're able to use those dollars to reinvest in our technology. The device I'm talking on is the Zoom P4. And, and for podcasters, uh, you know, it's a, a mobile uh, podcasting device. And that's what we were able to take up to Doug Duran's farm. You know, if it wasn't for our sponsors, we wouldn't be reinvesting in cameras and mixers and things like that. So they're enabling us to do a better job, produce better quality, more content. Um, that's aligned with what I hope everyone wants to hear. So we're, we're really trying to do good stuff here and our sponsors are a big part of that. So be sure to use their products, you know, find Greg and I on Go Wild. Be sure to use Spartan Forge. Use that discount code. It's there for you. We don't get a kickback on that uh, or anything like that. So, you know, just happy to share that stuff with everybody and uh, hopefully you enjoy the episode today. If it's a good one and you like the last one and, and you continue to listen, you know, leave us a review. I always love reading those to see what people have to say. Again, if you have, if you have stories to share with us, we have a way you can submit those stories on our website, our OKest Moments. You can submit one. We'll share those on some of these podcasts. We also do them on our emails that go out every week too. So lots going on here. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. It was fun. It was a late night. We didn't get home till 11 o'clock. Uh, I got two hours of sleep. My son was puking all night. So 5.30 this morning, I went to bed and it's Thursday. Um, and I slept till 7.30. So here we are getting this thing pumped out and uh, hopefully everyone enjoys it. Thanks so much for tuning in and have a great day. This is the OKest Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks, if that's just me with a freezer. It's your tag, you hunt how you want. This is OKest Hunter. Hey, this is the OKest Hunter podcast, and uh, we're not in studio. We're no, at, we're live from yeah. the buck shack. At Dundurn's farm in Casanova. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's my family's farm. I always like to point that out. Thank you. It is family. <laughs> it is my family. I am uh, this steward's, uh, this generation's stewards, I should say, of this property. And uh, I own this collectively with four 
uh, brothers and sisters. So there are five of us. That's a lot of you. Do they enjoy this place as much as you do? Um, well, I, and no one else lives near uh, to it as I do. Uh, I have two sisters who live in Wisconsin, one in Oshkosh and one in Door County. So, you know, two and a half and five hours away. And then both of my brothers live in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. So um, my older brother, who lives in Nashville, because um, both my brothers do, um, uh, he comes and hunts, and he brings his son along, my nephew. And uh, my younger brother, Mark, he quit hunting when he was 13 years old. He about shot his foot off with a 30-30, and he's like, hey, you know. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. good. I'm good. I like my toes on my The feet. other part of it was, though, so, uh, Mark was a tremendous athlete, and uh, – uh, big tall guy, six foot six, and and uh, very athletic. And uh, he went to uh, uh, school in South Carolina on a basketball scholarship. And once he got south of the Mason Dixon line, he pretty much stayed down there. I don't blame him. It's yeah. like the weather, it's coldest day. Yeah, of the year. He, he was always say, even when we were kids, man, he. Uh, he didn't stick it out when we were sleigh riding and stuff. Sounds he, like my brother. Got cold. Yeah. My brother moved to Arizona, so oh, is there right? you go. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's there. It's interesting <laughs> how you, you know, when you get uh, familial stuff like that and you start to think about it. But <clears throat> I guess to the point is my uh, older sister and uh, has one child, my, son, my uh, nephew Sam, who's uh, just turned 30. And Sam is a very avid hunter. The one big old buck there in the corner is, is one that he got. And um, they're involved, actually. Uh, he's also a very avid fisherman, and um, they're, they're actually in the boat business up in Door County. Um, and uh, so he's pretty involved. Um, my daughter, Eleanor, who lives in Chicago, um, spends a lot of time on the farm or spends as much time as she can. And she brings all kinds of folks here, everything from boyfriends who've never shot a gun before to sorority sisters who've never shot a gun before. And they all get to shoot a gun when they're sure. here. That's like one of the attractions, right? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to see those reactions to it. Um, my uh, my niece and nephew in Oshkosh, my younger sister, um, uh, they love coming here and being part of the property. I mean, we're really working hard for them to uh, to, to appreciate the, the property in a different way because, after all, it's their turn next right I'm there they'll be the fifth generation of owners of this and and the way we have it set up that's uh, exactly what will happen they will all become uh, um, owners in the next generation probably a good segue into who who i mean i think most of the folks that are going to listen to this or who are listening right now if you're whatever you're doing we're going to listen to this is i think we know who doug Dern is but you know i think I, when did you coin the it's not ours it's it's just our turn when did that come to fruition and how does that seep into who you are well that's a deep um, question yeah I, I actually appreciate it. it um about i moved to madison 25 years ago and uh at that time is when i started getting really involved with the management of the of the farm um the house that we're sitting in here was uh my my little brother was I say little brother, younger brother, youngest brother was, was living here. And tragically he died in a car accident, um, 27 years ago. And, um, and, um, that's a pretty tr traumatic thing to have happen in a family. And, um, I, w life changed and, and moved to Madison 25 years ago. And that's when, uh, it was just after my daughter was born. I became. I got involved with the management of the farm at that time, and I actually had a, a, also had a landscape business in Door County, and we were doing naturalization and restoration. And I've been in conservation, involved with conservation since I was a 
kid. I mean, really, I didn't even realize it. You mm-hmm. know, that that's what that's some of the story of the farm, um, and where this phrase come from comes from. My uh, this fam this farm has been in my family for 118 years, and it was first uh, first a uh, property that was purchased because of the timber that my great grandfather had a sawmill. And are and they always from here, or do they? Well, they emigrated from emigrated from Germany in the 1860s. Okay. So my great great grandparents did. So yeah, oddly, this farm has been in my family for 118 years, and I was the first Duran to live in this house. Um, yeah, so so it was a property that was purchased because there was a sawmill a mile. There was a sawmill a mile from here where the um, uh, and and they bought it for the for the woods and then a farm got carved out of it and this house was here is very this house was way older in 118 years it's like 140 or something like yeah, it's that it's cold in here <laughs> <laughs> it's always been cold in this house the only thing insulating this place is the mouse shit and the newspaper shreds <laughs> well there's a lot yeah that's right well it's pretty close it's pretty close well, I, I turned the heat up for you guys yeah, thank you um and uh so and to be clear i don't live here now but um Anyway, the the property's been in the family a long time, and it, but it, it it has always been a property that was um, first and foremost utilitarian, providing uh, raw material to the sawmills, and then the barn was built. The barn just turned 105 years old. Um, it was built uh, finished in. Uh, let's do the math, everybody. It was uh, finished in 1917, and uh, and. The, the lumber was all milled at the family mill that was about a mile from here. And uh, so it was pretty well managed then, right? It's 400 acres. Uh, a farm was carved out of it. 240 acres of it remains woods because very typical to the driftless area, the, the hillsides and places you couldn't farm were left, left wooded. Um, there is one big uh, ridge over here that, that uh, didn't get cleared, but... Um, there's a story behind that too, and which is which is where it's not ours; it just turn, our turn comes from. So um, we were uh, we being uh, the family, and and at that time uh, my dad was uh, still alive, and I was taking over more of the management of the farm, and I have some background in conservation and natural resources, and and uh, uh, and doing I guess the best thing, quote unquote the best thing for the land which changes you know depending on what's going on adaptive management is really important and i was working with a dnr forester a fellow who's become a a very good friend of mine his name is mike finley and uh we were uh doing some work on a on a forestry project we were doing up there marking trees talking about it and and we were walking out of the woods and uh it was i said hey mike is it after five o'clock and he said well yeah i said did you drive a dnr vehicle here he goes no it's my car sitting down there i was like okay i take my backpack down and i had four beers in there so we cracked a couple of beers <laughs> and uh, five we, somewhere and we sat and we uh and we talked for a little bit and we we're just talking about what we had done and he goes doug i i really have to tell you that i admire that your family's willing to do this pretty aggressive um uh management to regenerate red and white oak mm-hmm. um and uh we talked. We were talking about why we were doing that, how we were doing it, what it was going to take to do it, and I I realized at that very moment that my great grandparents and my grandparents, and my parents were all sort of sitting there with us, and 
Um, I said, well, you know, I, I... It's a lot of Durans. Yeah, it's a whole lot of Durans. But, I mean, their influence was there, right? And mm-hmm. I said that, um, well, I guess I look at it like it's not ours. It's just our turn. And he looked at me and cracked his second beer and said, <laughs> you ought to write that down. So I did. And that really became the central part of how we think about, not just me, but my brothers and sisters and I, how we think about the farm. And that was, I don't know, 12 years ago or something like that. And, um, and I did write it down and and it came up and, and, um, you know, it, it, it stuck, you know, like, okay, we're trying to do an adaptive management plan for this property. It's we're trying to keep it financially viable. We're trying to keep it a legacy property. We're trying to honor the memory of my late brother, Matthew, who tragically died, as I said, 27 years ago. And we're also trying to leave something for the future because that was what was left for us. And, um. It kind of ties into the whole, you know, everything that I've, where I've gotten to in my life at age 63, like we were talking about earlier, um, the age 63 of like becoming more. You didn't actually tell me your age before, but now I know. Yeah. And you were going to say, you you were looking a lot older than that. (laughs) (laughs) You weren't listening. (laughs) Um, uh, So, you know, uh, I think philosophy is really important. And if your outlook about, what you're doing, what, your outlook about why, what you're doing and why you're doing it is very important when you start to then implement uh, plans, you know, develop plans and then implement those plans. So that's where it came well, from. You and I had talked, and we talk here and there, right, or now and again, we'll get on a phone call and I'll usually have to hang up and because I got like a meeting or something like that. But uh, you talked about this word gentrification of land and you talked about someone might treat something different if they're an owner of it versus they're just utilizing it. And it's not ours. It's just our turn seems to live inside of there pretty well. It's nestled in great because it changes the lens and how you look at how you're going to treat something when you know, you have to hand it up that torch off to someone else. So the fact that you've been, this place has been here for 118 years. I can't imagine a hundred years after, from today forward for my kids and their kids and so forth, mm-hmm. what that can look like, what kind of legacy can I leave for them? And, you know, the, the show notes that I provided about like, you know, why are we here? How does that relate to who you are and what you're working on, what you're doing? I think you being here is the nucleus of kind of all of the stuff spreading out from around you, the ripple effect of what you have going on. I'm making a really weird point. I'm not sure what I'm saying. I'm just trying to say that. Oddly, you, I, know ex- I know what you're talking about. Your cause is just so relevant but yet also so close to your heart it, it just it's it's pulling from both ends of the spectrum which is why i think it, it's so resonating to people it's, it's really it's, re- it's relevant and there's a reason it's close to your heart i mean it, it's very meaningful it's very important to you as a person and a being well man there's a lot i could say about that and 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 one of the things that i would say about it is i remember my first, um, I remember when my dad, when I, when I was a kid, which is something you say a lot when you're older, mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid, my dad, uh, actually used to go up North deer hunting with his buddies from world war II and some other local guys, because that's where the deer were, you know, I mean, deer were a rare commodity around here, a rare thing to see. <laughs> I mean, when you would see a deer, um, like driving around, you'd like tell somebody about it. 
now it's like, how many did you see tonight? I don't know, 70, you know, that kind of thing. And so, it, it, and that's both, uh, um, that's important to, to realize when you start talking about the arc of a lifetime. And, you know, we have, we're in this moment of time right now, and that's what we're working with, right? But I've been hunting. I'm... 63 years old, right? So uh, I'm not trying to make you say it a whole bunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. You, know, I, 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 you can just say I'm, I'm in my 60s. I'm a, okay, okay just, well, let me say it this way. You're just a dude. This, this past season was my, was my 50th year of hunting. Started hunting when I was 12 years old. Uh, I mean, we got, to, we got to tag along prior to that, but you got to hold a gun when you, I mean, you got to, mm-hmm. to, to, to write a passage game. Yeah, really, very much age. so. In 12. Yep. And, um, and, and, uh, when I was 12 is when you took hunter safety. And when you were 14, when you had that patch on your jacket, which I still wish I had, um, we had that patch on your jacket. Then when you were 14, you can go by yourself or you go with your buddies. So when you're 14 years old, I don't know what you in eighth grade, I guess, or a freshman in high school. Yeah, you mm-hmm. high school, you would know. Yeah. Um, so you're, yeah, you're like, you know, freshman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it depends on guess, what time of the year you were born. But anyway, um, so very much a rite of passage and, 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 um, important thing I think to to note in all of this, but I remember being a kid. Um, I mean, like a little kid. I mean, obviously when you're 14, you're a kid too. But my dad hunted up north with those guys, and just the anticipation of them coming back and what did they get? And what kind of stories did they have? And what stories did they have? Yeah. And we had this series of books. There's one of them is still left over there. It's it's called the that one's called the Varmint Hunter's Bible. And there was the, the Small Game Hunter's Bible, the Varmint Hunter's Bible, and the Deer Hunter's Bible. Our copy of the Deer Hunter's Bible, <laughs> which is this like 99-cent um, little book, um, was just dog-eared because we just read it all the time. I bet you know, it was just, just destroyed. Oh, and it, and it, was, you know, it was a lovely thing to read as a kid, you know. And it was just something that, you know, and so you learn about deer and deer habitat and all of that. But but then dad was going off deer hunting. And then he, when he came back, I can just remember like waiting for him to come home and seeing, you know, what, what when he pulled in and we'd go, what'd you get? What'd you get? You know? And then he would explain, well, we got, uh, and he would always say, we, we got. It's a collective. Yeah. yeah the collective group effort. of hunters, we got five bucks and because there were 12 of them. And in those days you had to. Four people had to get a one tag. It was party, called a party tag party at that tag, time. Yep. And we got two does, and or whatever it happened to be, right? And then it's like, well, what'd you get? He goes, well, I, you know, then he would tell you what I got or what he didn't get. And then um, I remember going down to the the, the place was a garage where these guys all got together and they skinned the deer and they butchered them and they were all doing this together. I mean, it was a collective thing, right? It was a cooperative and collaborative thing. So when I was a kid learning about hunting, hunting to me was something that you did collectively, you did collaboratively. And at the end, when those guys butchered those deer and cut it all up, everybody took the same amount of meat. I mean, I literally remember them going, okay, steak for you, steak for us. Okay, grind for you, grind. And then they were grinding it too, but, you know, burger for you, roast for you. You know, mm-hmm. and they, everybody had the same amount of meat. It didn't matter how, who got what. Everybody got the same amount of meat out of it. Now, I remember my dad getting the, what it seemed like a giant eight-pointer at the time. Anything was a giant. Um, it's not in here. Um, the, the antlers are around. But um, and the thing was, you know, it just seemed like a giant because – the first year that he got is in the corner over there, and that's that little with that little brown mm-hmm. wooden thing. That was the first deer that he got, in like nineteen, you know, 
49 or 50. And that was, you know, the, I mean, that was, I mean, in those days, you just shot the first buck that you saw. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did that for a long time here, too. But, um, but that whole idea of the collective group, and they were gun hunters, you know, deer hunters. And they lived in tents up there and all of that. And so that was the way I brought up in, in, in hunting. My, my dad and his buddies would go uh, fox hunting around here. And they had hound dogs, and I got to tag along on these hunts a couple of times when I was, you know, 10. or And um, places that aren't accessible anymore because it's, you know, because it's just the change in the yeah, land ownership, yeah. which we, I really actually like to talk about after a while. Um, and these guys just, you know, just like giving each other the berries about missing. You had to pay like a quarter when you missed, <laughs> you know. And they, if they got a fox, great. If not, they went out for the day. And they were running dogs and doing this whole thing. And it was just, you could just see this camaraderie and this collective attitude and cooperativeness and, and all of that. And I just, that's what I remember about it. The shared experience. Yeah. You know, I, I like, um, I think we talked about Ryan Holiday. It keeps coming up in my conversations with people because it's relevant for me. But wrote a book called Stillness is the Key and How you be, how to Be Present in a Moment. And I don't, short of time with my kids, doing something collectively, in, especially in the outdoors, creates a level of presence that it's hard to find elsewhere. And when you add that camaraderie, you're all experiencing something really similar together. And, and that's where bonds are created. Mm-hmm. Sort of those stories are cemented in time. You can't shake them. The woods come to life when you go back into there because it's so vivid. It's soldered into your brain. A kid isn't going to remember the time they played Call of Duty and had shot that bad guy. But they're going to remember when they went and shot, you know, that deer or they went with those dogs and were fox hunting. That's... That's a indelible memory that you're you're never gonna for, you're not gonna forget it. You know, there, there's a spot not far from here. It's not on our farm. Uh, it's over the hill from where I grew up. I grew up in town, two miles away, um, and uh, <clears throat> up with my dad and I. One day he goes, "You want to go squirrel hunting?" And I was like eight or nine years old, mm-hmm. and I said, "Yeah." And I wasn't I wasn't getting to go hunting. I was going out excited the, to go on. I was going out in the yeah, woods with my, with, with my dad. Yeah, right? proud moment for you. And we went over. <laughs> We went over this hill. We went over this ridge. I could take you to the spot right now, all of these years mm-hmm. later. And uh, there's this bowl, and we sat down there. And it was this beautiful, sunshiny day. And I don't know what the heck was in my dad's mind, other than that I was just sitting there with him, right? And I'll, like it happened this afternoon, remember this deer? And it was happened to be, a, again, it seemed like a big, because I could see the antlers on it. It seemed like a big giant buck. It was probably a year and a half old forky, you know, as it walked around. We were sitting in the sun and it walked around that hillside and came around there. And I, I remember my dad kind of elbowing me and then pointing like this. And I look over and I can still see my father sitting there and looking at it and me looking at it with him. And as it walked around, it never knew we were there. And it walked up over the hill. But it was like Get to one witness of the that together. first moments, yeah, that I remember, I, of a You're lot of moments. present in a moment together. How often does that happen? You know, the, those moments are fleeting these days with all of the tech that we've My dad room, wasn't you know? present for my first deer with the bow, <clears throat> and he wasn't present for my first deer, you know, with a shotgun, first buck, in fact. So to have that, yeah. it's pretty special. I, I think so. You know, the memories that I have of, of my father, which I have a lot of them, and some of them aren't good, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, my dad was a, uh, uh, oh, he was a good man. He was a man of the people. He was, uh, he did a, a tremendous amount 
for his community. Um, he uh, was very hard on his kids, but he was uh, belo eventually beloved in the community. Um, but uh, it seems like now he's been gone for five years, and, and um, it seems like all I can, I can't, th those things, those hard things, I, eh, they're over there. But man, I can, You're not gonna but, I, but I can remember that moment in the woods. You know, it's interesting. That's fascinating that you say that. I don't know what to, to, to make of this, but you know, in life, a lot of the times negative is louder than positive. People will, I worked in customer service in college and I took thousands of calls for a call center, um, for a cell phone company and thousands of calls of people complaining about stuff. Well, I there can was, understand it now because you got such a call. nice voice. There was, one, <laughs> there was one call where someone called to say, I'm just calling to say I appreciate what you guys are doing. Yeah. And I was like, well, what's your problem? <laughs> you know, like, get to the problem. I need to look up your account and fix whatever you're calling about. And, and, and she didn't. She just said, I'm calling to say nice things. I'm like, you're the first and only person I've ever talked to that called for this reason. People don't call to say good things. They call to say bad things. To that point, loud things or, or bad things tend to be louder than positive. That's why the news is so effective. They, they you know, report on the 1% of shit that goes on in the world. Right. And, you know, a little bit of positive. And uh, that 1% is a lot, right, of negative stuff. But you just told me that now that your dad is gone, you remember the good things and not the negative things. Yeah. That's and, fascinating. And when he was alive, don't get me wrong, when he was alive, it was much more good and positive things than mm -hmm. it was uh, sure, it sure. Was negative things. Yeah. I mean, he was, he, my dad was a hard man in, in, in some ways, but... And, you know, and maybe this is, you know, over time and whatnot, but he was, but I remember him like apologizing to me hmm. on his, as he got older, like, oh, I suppose some of what I did, what could be considered child abuse and all this. I was like, <laughs> man, I never. Yeah, parents are humans. They're people. Yeah. Well, you know? that, and that a part of it, I mean, just the fact that he was saying yeah. that was yeah. enough. And he, as he did when mm -hmm. I was a kid, um, like if we got corrected for something that we did he was you know would usually come in and kind of explain it later after you after suffer you know. the wrath a little bit <laughs> yeah. yeah without and, and and um i i i i i hope that i hope that um i was a i have been a better parent than my father um i know i know in a lot of ways that i have been and i know in some of the other ways that I have not been, but I think on balance, but in, but he would also say, well, you should have been because you should have learned. I mean, and I, I've, I mean, I've learned a lot of things in life and some of them are, uh, some of them, I mean, the things, a lot of what you learn in life is like, Oh, I don't want to be like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that way, the way my dad was, well, I don't want to be like that. It was a hell of a lot easier when he had six kids. I had one. Um, it was a hell of a lot easier to, to raise one than it was six. You know, in terms of just the pressures of life and, and everything that you have to provide and stuff. But, um, you know, my mom, too, I, I, uh, I mean, I, my mother was a wonderful woman. And, and, but, you know, at the same time, these were people of the Depression, you know, and, and that was. Life man, is different. It's hard. Oh, man. It's hard. Just, that weighs on you. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I, uh, um, uh, philosophically, I, 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 I've, I've appreciated my parents more now and I appreciate their generation more now and the, the insights that they provided to me. Um, and I mean, I, I, I say this about my folks all the time. I'm still learning from them. Oh, I, yeah. My mom's been gone you, three as years. As you hit their benchmarks in age yourself, 
you start to analyze, oh gosh, they were just people. <laughs> like they were that young trying to raise kids. Like, man, I was an idiot when I was that age. Like they probably were too, you know, or something like that or, or what have yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, you're hitting it right on the head, man. You're hitting it right on the head that that's the, you, you, and, and then it's sort of that self-reflection. This is a really weird story, but, um, somehow ties in, um, self-reflection so important and, God, you know, I mean, just like, I mean, I think about all the times in my life that I've been an asshole and, or a jackass, I guess I'd say, because here's, here's, here's one of the things that this is like one of these things that I, you I don't want to be, but you, you right. Well, it's just so, your turn, Doug. Yeah. I was trying to differentiate. It's like, well, what's the deal, you know, between, you know, cause you hear the two terms, jackass and asshole, right? And I think that we can all be jackasses. One's a donkey, right? One's a freaking body part. Yeah, well, right. Well, there you go. That's another difference. But I, I, I've come to, the, to, to think that everybody can be a jackass from time to time. Mm-hmm. Whereas being an asshole is a little bit more of a permanent a condition. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> permanent. Um, and I'm just trying not to be an asshole because I know I can be a jackass from time to time. So... Um, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 the the story that I was about to tell you is one of the, that it took me a long time to like get anything from it because when I first heard it, I thought it was funny. My brother uh, was my older brother, David, living in Nashville, Tennessee, and and uh, it went through some stuff in his life, and and uh, uh, was divorced and and uh, had this house that he still lives in, and there's a guest room and a guest bathroom and stuff. So he actually. You know, because of what was going on, he's like, ah, this friend of mine was going through a divorce and he needed a place to live. So I let him live. I let him, you know, have the guest room and the bathroom. And, you know, we kind of lived our separate lives, but, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like we were living together so much as he was able to do that. The guy moves out and, uh, you know, after a a period of time and and, uh, he was having a rough go of it. And uh, Dave says, I walked into the bathroom and here written in (laughs) permanent magic marker on the mirror. You're looking at the problem. Ouch. Interesting. And we, I was like, whoa. And we laughed about it. He goes, isn't that just crazy? But, you know, the more I think about that, man, looking in the mirror, you got to be able to look in the mirror. It's like, well, what's my what's my role in all of this, no yeah. matter what Yeah, it well, is. it's like insurance. Like you get in a car accident, and if you weren't at fault, you're still at fault because you were present. Yeah. You share some of the blame for just simply taking up space. So you're still always part of the equation. You know, it's just hard to see it sometimes. I assume that I'm always part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> but I also assume that I'm, I, I can be a part of the solution. But you're looking at you're looking at the problem, and, and maybe if I was going to add to that mm-hmm. sharpie saying across the across the mirror and the solution, you're looking at the problem and the solution. So I'll, so, very I'll true. Um, put into a different gear here, and thanks. <laughs> it's part of my job, I suppose. <laughs> Greg calls me the time Nazi, but we're not. You call you the time Nazi, but you put the blame on me, which is fine. Yeah, okay. I can do that. Uh, You know, you're, we we talk about, it's not ours, it's just our turn, but this mission that you have somewhere along the way, the stewardship of the land, the gentrification, which is a term that I would enjoy you defining because it speaks to what's going on here if we transition into CWD, chronic wasting disease, and what you're doing there, and something that we get to participate in with you here uh, a couple, what was it, a month ago? Yeah. I don't know. My yeah, we sense of time here. is totally jacked up. But, <laughs> um, 
It's winter time, man. It does winter, that too. Yeah, it's, it all blends. We were here not that long same. ago. Yeah, it was and, a month and ago. We yeah. participated in the dough derby, but you're able to take action and, and take something that, you know, you, someone told you you should write that down became something that you had a lot of people participating in. Oh, you're pushing something forward. That was something you said in passing that someone told you to write down. That is now a thing, a physical, tangible difference that's happening. The mission, the, the who you are, the land that's been here for 118 years, like the things that are kind of boiling up in this. I keep using the term nucleus and ripples because Look at what's happening here, you know? Well, if I think if you go back to this this idea of, of, of being philosophical, like one of the things when we put, we, my brothers and sisters mm -hmm. and I and my parents were alive at that time, when we put our, started to work on a, the uh, management plan, and it's an adaptive management plan for this property. I've not heard that term before. I'm glad a, you're talking about Adaptive management? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Shit changes, right? I mean, yep. it, it, it logically and, makes sense. Yeah, and, yeah and I mean, and dealing I've, with CWD is part of adapted. That's adapted exactly. Management. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um, and and so you get it. So I mean, if you have a philos uh, you know, if you have a, a philosophical outlook, a philosophy that's it's not ours, it's just our turn. One of the things that we wrote into our management plan was what is the that we want to be a good example and we want to do the best thing in quotation marks. Well, the best thing changes, right? Um, um, so two things that you, you, you've brought up, one of them is chronic wasting disease. The other thing is gentrification of land. Let me talk about the gentrification, gentrification or concerns about that. I had that to Google that after with. you mentioned it to me on a phone call. Gentrification? Mm -hmm. I had to Google it. I had to figure it out. So when I was a kid. <laughs> I have no shame, by the way. Like, I, I, I love it, man. I love it. Um, uh, most uh, people would have went to Webster. You went to Google. <laughs> well... <laughs> Do you know what? gentrification. You, you yeah, know, exactly. I'm the Google master. Just ask Renella. You know, that's how I sit there. I'm always fact checking. You're shit. the original Google. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Here um, we go with the age thing again. Ageism. Yeah. So, um, what was I talking about? Uh, <laughs> gentrification. Yeah, no, when, I was a kid, when I was a kid, I, I remember it very distinctly 50 years ago when um, I saw my first no trespassing sign, hmm. 12 years old. And this. Uh, uh, a little bit uh, outside of Casnovia, where I was with uh, with my my friend Marty Klang, and and uh, who's who's not with us anymore, and Denny Adelman, and this guy by the name of Hans Morsbach, this German guy from Milwaukee, first person from away, quote unquote, hmm. from away, who bought land in our area, and this guy drove a Mercedes Benz. Oh wow! And so to a twelve year old kid who grew up in Casnovia, might as well have been a spaceship, right? One hundred percent. And he bought this piece of property that was kind of a rundown farm that had been you know some people had been working and and uh you know the creeks were wide and flat because they were overgrazing it and all this shit that i've learned since then and but this guy bought this thing you know the first thing that he did was put up no trespassing signs first no trespassing sign and we used to just squirrel hunt in that woods we didn't give a shit we just went in there you know and i don't even remember who the family was who owned it before an old hans did he didn't care either probably like oh, the kids are here shooting squirrels whatever yeah, yeah yeah i mean you know but um so it's like well what's that but anyway um that land is still in his family 50 years later and it is a um they've done a tremendous job of conservation in their tree planting stream bank uh, stabilization, all that sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's. Is this something you had a little bit of hand in doing? No, I had nothing to do with it at all. It's just part of the story. And, um, but what's part of the story is, uh, there was a place where we used to go down the trout stream 
and there was a fence there that you had to a wire gate that you'd open and walk walk down and you could do that and everybody accessed that stream from there including marty and danny and i <clears throat> pulled up there one day on our bikes and here's a, a sign on that fence that says if your land is posted stay the hell off of mine well old hans morsbach had also been accessing that trout stream in the same place so the farmer who owned that had seen that he had put no trespassing signs up and that was the point 50 years ago so that was the first person that I remember wow. from away who owned property around here. Now, 65% of this county is owned by people who don't live here. That was the first signal. Mm -hmm. That was the, you know, and, and so, so that's 1971. I was 12 <laughs> years old. It's a lot of money back then, too, driving Mercedes around and buying a land somewhere else that you're not from. That's an interesting concept to consider that long ago isn't it so think about that That's so here's so a commonplace now so here's uh here well it, except it, for it, the mercedes maybe now it's like a rivian <laughs> or a tesla or something. A tesla right, <laughs> right. So, so here's something here's here's some homework assignment for y'all um and i don't use that word y'all y'all but i've been hanging out with people who do i've been doing it too it's i know sorry you folks um uh there was a professor landscape architecture at the University of Wisconsin. His name was Phil Lewis, Dr. Phil Lewis. And he wrote about a concept called circle of cities. Hmm. And um, essentially, if you take a, if you're at, I don't know, 10,000 feet and you're looking over the Driftless or, or over the Midwest, you'll see Milwaukee, Chicago, Green Bay, Madison, Minneapolis, Des Moines, Iowa, Dubuque, or Dubuque, Iowa. <laughs> Dubuque. And like in the middle of all of that, the big circle of cities is the Driftless area. Hmm. He predicted that, and then he used examples in another part of the country, but I just happen to know about the Driftless area part of it, and he was at the University of Wisconsin. Look him up, Dr. Phil Lewis, Circle of Cities. He predicted that the Driftless area would become exactly what it has become a place where people will come to for recreation. Agriculture will always be a part of it. And that it will draw people because of the ecosystem and the environment and the opportunity to interact with the, uh, the outdoors. You know, we were just looking at that map over there earlier. And if you look at, if you just take, hey, take Google Earth, do what Dr. Phil Lewis did when he was flying over and just go up to 10,000 feet and you know, turn that on. You'll see that, that in the middle of it is the Driftless area. So you can understand. I mean, I understand why people are attracted to the Driftless area, man. Um, you know, I've lived in other parts of the country and, and, and traveled a bit, and this is a unique place. I remember Steve uh, Ranella describing it as a belt buckle on the Midwest. Look, think of the Driftless area as a belt buckle on the Midwest. And so... Um, in my younger years, thinking about, oh, there's people from away coming and buying land here. You know, now they're, you know, I mean, it's forcing people out. And that's, okay, so gentrification, you understand that in the city, it's like, in, a, in an urban area, it's like all of a sudden an area that was maybe where, um, that was more of a, uh, a, 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 you know, maybe a down, uh, economically depressed area. It's called or, opportunity zones nowadays, yeah, I believe. Yeah, called yeah. opportunity zones. So then people start buying those and they start fixing them up and mm -hmm. all that. And it's happening in all kinds, of urban, and all, this shit. all yeah. kinds of urban areas, right? So the gentrification of the rural landscape is also happening. And it's a bit of a concern because one thing, I, and because I'm in the land management business, mm -hmm. I manage properties for absentee <laughs> owners and, and work with them and stuff. Um, 
and, and talk with them about why did you buy this land and why are you interested in this and what are you doing? And some of them are just because of what they said. Well, we wanted this place where we could recreate in a cool, cool area, you know, ecosystem, our place, our piece of heaven. You know, that's how I always describe it. So, um, wow, it's too bad because people are getting forced out of their places. Mm-hmm. Generally, people are selling it. And they're like, oh, man, my place is worth, I mean, 10 years ago, I wish I'd have bought a whole lot more land around here because it's worth two and a half. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty, but yeah. 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 Well, they're getting older and they can't do it anymore. Well, but the, but what happens is, is that people buy pieces of, like our, our property. And, I, and, and so I feel like I'm on this person from away because I spent a lot of time not living here. Mm-hmm. And this farm has always been in our family and art because of the hard work that my parents did, my grandparents did, and that. Honestly, my brothers and sisters and I did on this property when I was a kid. We worked on this farm for a roof over our head. And my parents both had jobs off the farm. All the farm had to do was pay for itself. So in 1988, when my brother and dad quit dairy farming, when they sold the cattle, the debt on the farm was cleared. 1988. The debt on the farm was cleared. And so dad just kind of... Geez, when I think back, he's probably about the same age he was at that time. But anyway that he um, was able to do whatever the hell he wanted with it, right? And, or they were able to, but my, my, my mom was never that interested in the land. But so, I'm, I mean, our land is sort of, this property is sort of like a gentrified piece of property in that it doesn't have to work for us. Doesn't, place doesn't owe us a nickel. It has to pay for itself. Mm-hmm. So there, we generate enough revenue here to pay for things, but at the same time, the value of it, I mean, you, this is real easy math. It's 400 acres is worth about $5,000 an acre. So and when my parents bought this land from my, this farm from my grandparents when I was, uh, the year I was born, 63 years ago, they paid less for it. They paid market price for it on a land contract from my grandparents for what we paid for 10 head of bred Hereford cows. Mm. five, six years ago. Very different, right? Mm-hmm. And But that was what it was worth at that time. Uh, my grandparents uh, maintained a certain amount of uh, anything that was taken out of the woods. They got that money. And there's, you know, there's, it's a land contract, so you can kind of write whatever you want. So my great-grandfather bought it. My grandfather bought it from him, or my grandparents, you know, always trying to give my grandmothers and great-grandmothers and grand, giving the women of the family um, credit, too, because we don't do that enough. They prop all of us up anyways. The uh, no doubt, man. No doubt. They would remind you yeah. if you didn't. Well, and they, well they I don't here. know. Maybe they wouldn't. You know, my, my, anyway, but, but my great-grandparents, my grandparents, my parents, one, bought, one generation bought it from the neck, which is how a lot of land was transferred out here. My siblings and I inherited this property. And when I, when, when people, oh, you sound like I had, was accused of, well, you sound like a guy who just inherited a bunch of property. I'm like, you know what I inherited? Uh, Yeah, I got the opportunity to own a property. But when I was a kid, we worked out here for a roof over our head. And that was the deal until I was, until I went off to college. And that also means something more to you too. It's not just well, some it sure as hell property. does. You know, you yeah, got sweat sure in hell. the soil. You yeah. know? Blood and sweat and tears in the soil. And all my siblings do. And all my yep. siblings do. 
to one degree or another. Maybe a couple buried pets or whatever else you do around here. <laughs> well, there's, yeah, there's all that, man. I mean, <laughs> yep. there's a story around every corner. There is a story around every corner. So You can't put a value on that stuff either. And, and you can't. But anyway, so the, the, the point is that people come out here and they buy, the, buy, they buy a piece of property because it, you can understand that, uh, that someone will go, well, oh, my God, some Giacomo from Chicago wants to pay $5,000 an acre for this 40. I'll sell it. And, you know, all of a sudden their life changes too, right? Yep. I mean, boy, that person who sold that piece of property, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars at 80. I mean, all of a sudden it's, we're talking about real money here, you know, and their life changed because they were dirt farmers doing whatever they could. And that all changed in the arc of a lifetime. When I was a kid, the, the Casanova, I would get on the bus in the morning and between Casanova and Weston High School, where I went to high school, Went to the Catholic school for eight years, a mile away, but four miles on, uh, we would stop at seven farms. I grew up with a farm, not on a farm, because I grew up in town, not mm-hmm. out here. We had to, we, I didn't have to do chores in the morning or in the evening. There was a family that lived here and they milked cows and they had jobs off the farm too. So the difference, be, so when I say, well, I grew up on a farm, well, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up with a farm. So the difference, it's a distinction. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big distinction because, and the biggest distinction that I can remember when I was in high school is I didn't smell like cow shit when I got I on the bus wake, in the you morning. You wake up at three in the morning. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> have to do that. And I didn't smell like cow shit when I got on the bus. Yeah. yeah. You're probably jealous of the other cow shit boys. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of like that smell. Anyway. I <laughs> My still... buddy Joel loves the smell of cow He was in the Marine Corps and he was in Japan for a while. And I actually was like pretty close to sending him a bag of, of cow shit because he was homesick <laughs> and he worked on a farm. Yeah, well, loved see, I, I went to tech school down in Chicago, a suburb of Chicago, and as soon as we got across the border, it was, if there was a north wind, it's like, we're home. Yeah. We are home. It was yeah. a great smell when you've been yeah. away for some time. You anyway, bet. so you know. Well, yeah, so anyway, so <laughs> so over that over this last 50 years, more and more people bought land out here, and they bought, they tended to buy, so this is what I've learned, right, that te- people, they tended to buy pieces of property that probably weren't great agricultural properties. It might be a... And oh, and I'm sorry that uh, I meant to go back to that. So in that four mile trip, there were like six farms that you stopped and picked up kids. Mm-hmm. None of those farms. The land is still there, and there, some of the buildings are still there. There might be somebody living there, but there aren't. They aren't dairy farms anymore. Just no. like this isn't a dairy farm. All of that has changed, <laughs> and that's not because people from the city came out here and bought it. That that's because, or people from away who came out here and bought it. That's because agriculture has changed. It's big ag now, and it's just a whole different, it's a different world, and it's... We're taking the grain and putting it in our gas tank versus feeding cows to feed ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'd be here for hours if we started talking about all that. Yeah, we would. (laughs) So so anyway, it changed, and so land ownership changed, and... And parcels got smaller, too, so we parcelized the landscape a little bit, a mm-hmm. 40 or an 80. You know, a farm like ours, 400 acres, would get caught up into 80s or 40s or whatever. And so now you'd have 10 owners rather than one. Big pieces of property be, have, became, become, have become more and more scarce. Um, and so the land gets broken up, gets parcelized, and then the landscape gets fractionalized. And that's the wildlife and, and those sort of things. So when I think about... Um, some of these folks from away who came up here and bought, you know, they bought a whole farm. Or farmers who said, you know, I, I want to keep the cropland, but I want to cut the non-cropland off and sell that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it's not I'm, I'm not making a value judgment because you hear that a lot. Oh, I remember when you used to be able to, yeah, I remember a lot of things that you used to be able to do. And some of it wasn't very good. Yeah, what change. I have noticed in 
people from away who buy land out here is they have a, a reverence for it because first of all, I mean, and, and, as do people who farm it and do it all of that as well, but it's a different kind of reverence. And they're like, well, what's, what should we be doing with this property or what's the best thing to do? So to go back to the, what I've learned in the last 14, 15 years where I've started to do land management for other people too, was that the reverence for the land that absentee landowners have generally is is pretty high they don't buy land out here to let other people on it you know it's like that guy hans morsbach all of a sudden he puts no trespassing signs up mm-hmm. but one of the things that i've been able to do in my land management business is talk with landowners and who, who bought land out here and they go you know i want to keep like you know what I would suggest. <laughs> I want to friendly suggest this. That you get, that you have a chat with your neighbors, that you interact locally. Don't come in here, you know, with a swinging dick attitude that you are the, I'm the new, this is the new boss and this is the way it's yep. going to be. I'm the sheriff of this burn your freaking house down. I warned a friend of mine about, a guy who's become a friend of mine. Uh, he's from Madison and he bought a piece of property. out. He goes, hey, you know, I got this. Thing, I got this uh, ATV, and I see there's this guy down the road. He does ATV work and stuff. Should I take it to him, or should I take it into the, you know, Madison to the whatever? He's like, take it to the guy down there. And 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 I see he goes, well, does he do good work and everything? I was like, I don't know whether he does or not. To be perfectly honest, with you, I'm pretty sure he does. I haven't ever taken to him, anything to him because he's, you know, not somebody mm-hmm. that I. But I'll tell you this: you take that to him and just say, look, you know, this is what I have, and. Can you do the work on it and, you know, ask him for an estimate and all of that? He'll appreciate the fact that you brought that business to him and maybe they won't break into your place. You know, I mean, I'm not implying that they would. No, I'm being, I'm not implying that what they would, but that's the right thing to do. Keep it local. You get to know who people are in your area, even though you're not here very often, you establish a relationship and maybe you make a good impression with them. Hopefully you do. You want to be a good neighbor? That's how you be a good neighbor. Yeah. Now Support the community. And then you can also say, eh, you know, when they knock on your door, they ask you about hunting and stuff. Eh, you know, I'm, I'm doing that. But appreciate you asking. You know, maybe there'd be an opportunity and all of that. So that's one of the things. We the, came up here for the doe derby. We got to hunt a neighboring property to Mitch. And, and Mitch, person, Mitch did all the legwork. And he did. Thank you, Mitch, for that. But they, they weren't there and they're like, hey. Thanks for asking, but yeah, go for it. You know, how nice is that? That's it's fantastic, and so that's a part of when 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 I said earlier, I thought that well, people from away they don't you know they put up no trespassing signs, and this was my impression when I was younger, right? They put sure. up no trespassing signs. They didn't buy land out here to share it with other people. That's not necessarily the case. Generally, when I was a kid, a farmer who'd say, "Yeah, he's whatever, go ahead," you know, they didn't have time to go out and hunt or anything like that, and hunting wasn't a wasn't a, a commodity then mm-hmm. which it is now and access didn't really have value which it does now um people are buying land because they want that recreation property so access has value and guess what the taxes on that land tend to be much higher well it is much higher than in uh than an ag land and i'll just give you this 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 straight thing in our township Agricultural land is at about three. The property taxes on agricultural land is about three dollars and fifty cents an acre. 
Product what's what's classified as productive forest is over sixty dollars an acre. Wow. <laughs> productive forest is just anything with trees mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. So there's a you know anyway, so there's some 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 issues there that Yeah, that there's be, huge that issues a, and we could jump down that rabbit hole and I'm oh, already man, we could do a whole series on all this stuff. Mind right? is already spinning on it. But yeah. But so anyway, but here's a common thing that landowners, new landowners especially, or people who've had land out here for a while, you know, people from away, that they say to you, it's a lot of work owning a piece of property. If you're you going, don't say. Yeah. <laughs> you don't well, I mean, say. it sounds like, it sounds like a, it sounds like a, uh, well, that's obvious. It's not obvious. Because well, they might think, well, can I just get a land manager? Can I get a property you know, maintenance. Gee, it's been know? kind of a nice business for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so because, land, you know, land management stuff, conservation work, and all of that based on that. But then the other part of it is I've been a part of focus groups of doing for with Department of Natural Resources and, and, and NRCS and stuff where they ask, well, what's the problem? Well, I, you know, you might have a managed forest law plan or you might have a, an NRCS grant or something like that. But then you got to get the work done. Mm-hmm. And, oh, there's contractors doing, yeah, you know, it's not, one, it's hard work, two, there aren't that many people. It's just like anything else. you got to have a strategic plan, and someone's got to actually do the work, pull the knobs, push the buttons, pull the levers, dig the soil, whatever you got to do. It's not that different from most other things in life. It takes work. It, it takes work. And, uh, and, and I will often say to, to my clients, well, doing nothing is a management plan. It's also a choice. You can literally do nothing. That is also a, an option on the table. It's you not very much like, so. You know, people flip a coin, you think there's two sides, there's two things. Like, there's three outcomes. The coin could can fall and disappear and you never get it. There's a third option here. I like that one. You know? <laughs> what, what happened to that coin? It, you know, we don't know. Around. It's yeah. gone. It's but, gone. But the right. long and the short of it is, is that here's things that I've learned over time. Land requires work. You know, public landowners, one of the things I challenged Wisconsin BHA about was, if you're going to call yourself a landowner, you ought to act like one. Mm-hmm. Landowners just don't take from their land. They put into it. And to the great credit of Wisconsin BHA, including Mitch and Liz Baker, I might add, uh, to the great credit of Wisconsin BHA, they have taken that bull by the horns and they work on their land. They mm-hmm. have work days on, on pieces of public property and all of that. And I, I just think that's absolutely tremendous. Between them... And WWA, I, I helped with that for a little bit. Oh, yeah. Wisconsin Waterfowl Association did a pretty good job. I haven't been involved, and I get emails about it every so often, conveniently when I don't have time to go help. But same thing. We went and cleaned up parking lots. We we cut down invasive species. I got chainsaw certified through the DNR th- with, with that organization. So then I was certified to run my chainsaw. I had all the safety gear. I still have it. And... I oh, boy, I, I just put that into my memory bank. My tree falls over, Greg. I'm calling you. I got some but, trees hanging over my roof. Dude, I learned how to how to use a wedge and how to cut things. and yep. drop. It was awesome. It was a great learning experience from, you know, cutting firewood as much as I did as a kid and running saws. I learned a lot of really good information. But either way... We got to go out, we cleaned up garbage, we took care of invasive species, we cut down a bunch of trees, we cleaned up some water, you know, just garbage from the water from from the boat launch. We did a ton of work. You did the work of land management on land that you as a public landowner owned. Private landowners have the same challenge. The other challenge that they have is that they, uh, I've heard this from so many landowners, I come up here, I love it. 
I, I spend all this time and then it's like I'm going back home after the weekend and I'm exhausted. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the, it's a lot of work and they love it. They love, generally they love the work. Some of them are, it's like, man, I need help getting this done. So I have an idea. And this is called sharing the land. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind sharing the land is that access seekers. Good segue. Perfect. You didn't even have to shift gears. <laughs> the idea of sharing the land is that access has value. Mm -hmm. Land needs work. Landowners need help with that. Access seekers can provide that work in exchange for it's a triple win opportunity. Everybody wins. The land wins. The two players win. And win. education, conservation, uh, conservation wins. People do stuff like you did, which has become land uh, to become chainsaw certified through groups like the Elder Leopold Foundation does this, right? They have a certification class. Um, I get asked, well, how do I meet landowners? It's knocking on my door. You knock on my door, I'm going to tell you, go away. You send me a letter, like has been talked about in on other podcasts about well, sending landowners. I don't, I don't even look at them. People send me, I answer every message that I get from people. Um, you know, through social media and stuff. And I have a list of 150 plus people who've asked for permission to hunt on this farm. Oh, I'm sure. Wow. And, you know, I'd be willing to do anything. Well, you know, it's a, it's, I share this land with a lot of people. It's a tough invite. It's sort of like I always equate it to Packer tickets, right? I mean, yep. to be, being on that list for mm -hmm. season ticket, there, people get, there's new season ticket holders every year, but, you know. It's the third you know. generation of people that has tried. <laughs> right. And so it takes it takes an, an awful long time. And, you know, an opportunity comes up because I, I know people. I have a lot of friends. We have a lot of family members. You know, people say, you know, I, I mean, I just get to randomly choose sometimes. It's not like, oh, it's got to be fair. I'm, I'm working up the list. It doesn't have to be fair. I'm still a landowner. Um, <laughs> you can literally do I, whatever you want. I like, can literally do whatever I want. Like, but come I, on. But but I but the uh, the number one thing that I ask people is what's your contribution to conservation? What what do you you know? And some people go, well, geez, I haven't done anything. I'm just getting into hunting. Well, that's a little bit different. Some of the people that are a part of my sharing the land cooperative here at 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 the Duran Farm have brought people out. Hey, I've got this uh, kid or this person who's you know new to hunting, and I'd like to take them out somewhere. You got a place to do that. And they can do that. Now, that person, and so like, uh, don't don't ask me to, to, you know, hey, I got a new person to come hunting. And the guy shows up and he's got, you know, all the gear and everything. So it looks to me like this cat's been hunting for a long time. <laughs> yeah. so nobody would ever, you know, I mean, people know me well enough to not try to pull that kind of stuff. I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid, you know. Um, but uh, I may be a jackass, but I'm not an asshole. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, he's, yeah, I like it. I like it. He's paying attention over there. Hey, your buddy. And, uh, uh, but so like we, I've had some new hunters here this past year. Mm -hmm. One of them is this young man named Owen. He's 12 years old. And his, uh, his, uh, mentor was, was, is Brock Rosencrantz. Who's, uh, who's actually now the Wisconsin R3 coordinator oh, for cool. Wisconsin okay. BHA. Cool. Um, and, and Brock's one of my cooperators here. We met Brock. Yeah. Brock's a great, great guy. Um, you know, you don't last here very long if you're not. The only one who gets to not be a great guy in this whole thing is me. 
you got it. I mean, you know, you just got to deal with who I am because it's, it's, you know, my like, house, my rules. Like my, yeah, Durkin always says, you know, the captain, you're the captain and the captain's always right. And, you know, I, I, the idea of cooperation and collaboration though, is that we end up having a lot of discussions here about it. Um, and one of my great joys is when we're sitting out there in that other room and we're talking about a hunt or whatever, when somebody goes, Hey, and I just hand them the pointer and they start pointing and talking about that. Like they're comfortable enough. That's what I want my people to be. The people that are part of this to mm -hmm. be comfortable enough to say, you know what? Here's another one, right? And Durkins is one of these guys too. He says, uh, you know, if we move that, if you move that stand 10 yards up the hill, I was like, Sounds like you're going to be moving that stand 10 yards <laughs> up the hill. Just have fun. Go nuts. Here's the keys to the car. Go <laughs> yeah, ahead. Go figure it out. Well, you know what I mean? It's that yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like, I'm not a guide. I'm not an outfitter. Because that's the other question I get asked mm -hmm. a lot. Do you, can I pay to come and hunt on your farm? Well, I think I told you this before we started recording. And I actually leased this farm for 12 days to some bow hunters who get to come here. They choose the days that they come here and they do it. And you know what that allows me? They, they pay a... Uh, a fair, what I think is a very fair sum, and they think is a very fair sum, but it really makes this prop makes my keeps my brothers and sisters happy because they're like, oh, so that paid the property taxes and beautiful, and yeah, I mean, what a perfect thing. And yeah. then those guys get to choose, and they're bow hunters, and we've never been bow hunters because I've always said that bow hunting is for people who don't have enough to do. <laughs> and um, but but it's I've heard you say this, but it's it's become for them. A destination it's it's a vacation for them to come in and they were all about killing big giant bucks when they first came here five years ago when we first started this and and guess what they've all killed the best bucks of their lives here they also um uh they get to use the place they get to stay here in the house they're doing this their period of time and i remember jack saying to me so i want to get this straight so we pay amount of dollars to come here and hunt and you know, and no, nobody hunts it before us, and that's one of the, the arrangements, and nobody hunts it before them. I can hunt anytime I want, and I can take people anytime I want, but, you know, it's part of the arrangement. I just make mm -hmm. this deal. I made this deal with them. But then right after we leave, you have other people coming, they don't pay anything. <laughs> and I'm like... Your you house, got to hunt it. Your rules. You yeah, that's how it goes. They got first pick. You and want and he goes like, seconds. I just want to be sure that this... I was like, that's yeah. exactly right. You but get the you know seconds, you got to pay either. They're that? either guests... Mm -hmm. Or they are members of my Sharing the Land Cooperative yeah. here, and they are contributing to conservation in some way. Yep. They're maybe taking deer off the land that you don't want to take. Well, and that was really the big thing we were talking about with the Doe Derby. And, and, yep. uh, when we and left the Doe Derby, how did we keep trackish of how many deer we saw on the way out of this place? It was uh, over 30. Yeah. Just just going before we hit the interstate, and then after we hit the interstate, it's all... It's out the, out the window lot. from there. It was but, a lot of yeah. deer. Well, it was all does. We didn't see any bucks. Yeah, man. We could talk about deer, the deer herd for maybe that's another segment or something, yeah. right? But um, but so the point was is that, the, and this guy goes, okay. <laughs> he's I mean, cool he just it, yeah. paid a very, you know, he's like, I get it. Yep. These people are, I mean, some of them are guests. You know, people get invited here for the mm -hmm. first, I don't expect anything from anybody that I just And it's a 50-50 chance that they get a deer. They do or they don't. Yeah. Um, and, um, there's all of that, right? There's all of that's a part of it, but if they become a part of this ongoing thing, then they're contributing something to conservation generally on this property. You know, my friend Tim came and put these windows in mm -hmm. something. He, you know, he's like, Hey man, I can do those windows for you. I was like, great. I'll buy the windows. And he goes, yeah, great. So he came up for a weekend. He put some windows in and, Easy. you know, yeah. Um, 
he, you know, something that he does a lot of, and you know, he knows he's comfortable with it. Um, a couple of other um, uh, carpenters, but then other people, I've taken them out, and they've, you know, we, we, in fact, I've got to put a group together for. Uh, I actually let everybody know this. Um, that that hunted here in the late season. Oh, hey, I got a little limbing project up in our pine plantation. Let me know. I'll be there. So they're actually paying it backwards, right? They're mm-hmm. not paying it forward. They're like, I appreciate so much the opportunity to come here. I'd be, I'd love to come and help you with that. Whereas it becomes more formal with someone who's an ongoing member of the sure. of right. group, you know. Um, but but th- one of the other things that I've I've noticed when you start to let go. Uh, when you start to let go of like the possessiveness of game or the possessiveness of mushrooms or uh, ramps and or resources on the land, people, yeah, resources, people who just want to like, come in and spend some time on, a, on some land that isn't, you know, overrun by other people, like littered you know, full of garbage. Yeah. State parks mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, the, that sort of thing. I mean, some, you know, there's some of that and should people, I mean, people are willing to pay for that experience. And, um, and there's oppor- plenty of opportunities to do that out there. But the idea of sharing the land is that it is, it's an exchange and that hopefully what will happen, here's the, here's what I've, here's what I've noticed. And you guys probably agree with this, that the two biggest impediments to hunting are, especially in the, where we live is, you know, 95% of the land is privately owned. Yep. It's a place to go. And the other part of it is someone to go with, um, uh, and 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 so part of sharing the land is it's a cooperative, collaborative effort um, to to learn about to do work of the work of conservation on a piece of property and then share in the bounty of that piece of land as well. I try really hard not to be the landowner who lords over the whole thing, and that is one of the things that we have to that we have to. You know, it's a, it's a fair exchange. If you're leasing, now if you're somebody mm-hmm. who leases, I mean, there's an expectation, right? Well, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want and, you know, um, or the, the, it's a different mentality. But what I really hope that people get out of the idea of sharing the land is that there's an education about conservation as and well. And what's your, if you had to define it, what is your, def, conservation is, there's a few definitions that might exist out there. It's probably a lot easier to define than the word culture. I think that's probably the most difficult word to define in the English language, in my it's opinion. It's similar to, though. But the, what is, I'm curious about, if, if someone's to help with conservation, what is what is your definition of conservation? Well, I would um, defer to, to uh, and, and paraphrase Leopold, and that is living um, with the land, um, thinking about the future, doing things with the land or, or, or to the land that are both, um, good for the land and good for the people and beings that are on it. And sharing sharing the land is the name of the entity. It's interesting because we talked about a shared experience before, right? Yeah. And what that means to, to human nature and how valuable that is to our memory and our legacy and camaraderie and so forth. And sharing the land, we share things. It's a, it, there's a force multiplier that exists, right? I could do a lot by myself. I could do all sorts of things. You add more people and I start to share things with people and I take that ego and that ownership out of it and, and it becomes more powerful, you know, sharing things with people. I think sharing so. the land is a powerful thing. You know, um, it's something the Native Americans did real well. And at the end of the day, yeah, and I, I, yeah, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, there's also 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like some kind of communist or socialist <laughs> or anything like that. Sound like some kind of communist. Well, I'm not. But I think there's something in between um, that is uh, that makes a lot more sense. Why not think about? I mean, why why not why not work through a an idea? Why not? be cooperative in the nature of things. Again, this kind of goes back to my well, dad. Well, what is it? Well, the rising tide raises all boats, right? If everyone's working as a collective in this, let's just use this area as an example, the driftless, you talked about the belt buckle that you yeah. said Ronella mentioned. And uh, by the way, I just noticed the glasses have the Ronella logo on them. I didn't notice that before. Way to um, go there, Captain Obvious. <laughs> I'm slow. I, I'll get up there. I'll catch up with everybody. But to that to that point, I don't know what the hell I was saying. I lost it. Cooperativeness. It, it's different. Right. When people are cooperating together, you're, you're doing so one person had the best land ever, but everyone else around had shit. What good is that for the for the holistic overview of the whole area? Uh, right. That's a part of the definition of conservation, isn't Thank it? Thank you. That is a part of the definition of conservation. You're my this 400 acres is not an island in the middle of the. Con, OK, of this the is what I'm saying. You're going to do a better job of this than me. So thank you. So this piece of property is not a and that was what I was getting about about. Mm-hmm. Parcelization, fractionalization, fractionalization of the landscape. We don't possess the deer. These are not my deer. The only time that becomes my deer is when I killed it. Those right. deer now, have more rights than us as humans. <laughs> they can trespass and never get, never see a fine for and it. And they are the they are. It is the people's game, and I, you know, I, and I and I do believe that. I, I believe in the North American model of conservation. I think that the North American model. Of conservation is 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 the best model that's out there i also think that the european model has some really good elements to it because you know of expectations um yeah and uh just thinking about that myself um because of expectations on uh on those people and i and i think that when i start thinking about the responsibility of being a member of something like sharing land cooperative for our property um there's a responsibility that goes with it some of which we talked about earlier uh, a fellow who's no longer a part of it because of of how he handled his um his uh, vaccination status you know came in here and acted like uh, he was not uh obligated to anyone else in the group to right at least let us know what was up with him um, so now I've become be, began to ask about it. That's not. I mean, I'm, I mean, we can have a disagreement or have a discussion about, and that's normal. That's normal to have disagreement, and and discussion about it. Yes. And then, but don't pass yourself off as someone else. That's someone who's, you know, has one status and and and, and it's something else, and it's not. That. You're not being victimized. I don't want to go down the COVID yeah. route, but um, uh, can I go to the bathroom when I miss? Um, <laughs> Doug yeah. was victimizing people. It's fine. <laughs> but but we'll edit that out. <laughs> but but there's a possessiveness. One of the things that's happened in the in also in my lifetime, and let's say in the last twenty five to thirty years, is there's a possessiveness about game. There is, and it's you know it's well, look at it. So and we've made it easy with trail cameras and and maybe you do own your 40 or your sixty or two hundred whatever it buck, is right or whatever. But yeah. you see that on that camera, you know. Five days out of the seven days of the week, that's my buck. He's living somewhere on my land. And if I and if uh, and and if my neighbor kills him, I should celebrate that. You should, you should celebrate neighbor. that 100. Because that. But buck, if some jackass, and I mean jackass, 
Not, not asshole? Jackal, not asshole. No, oh. no, I mean Jack. I'm sorry. Just a Jack. Oh, my God, I'm messing oh. it up. Oh. If asshole. some asshole pulls off to the side of the road, runs you know, out in the field and shoots him off of somebody else's land and then drags him on there, that's... Totally an asshole move. That's an asshole move. Um, that, I mean, it's not ethical. It's, it's not, not earned. No. It's not earned. It's not that. is quintessential that. asshole. On the other hand, if someone... Uh, if I, I, I remember having this conversation with, with a, a neighbor of mine. He killed a nice big giant buck that we had, and I sent him trail camera pictures of it. This is when we were doing Which is, Then that is cool because it's, there's yeah, now, look at that. Because yeah. the whole neighborhood has a history of that deer and where he's been. It's kind of really neat. This guy said to me, I'm really surprised. Or, I, thank you for congratulating me on it. I'm a little surprised by that. I was like, Why? Yeah, but doing the right thing is always the right because thing. Because every time I see when you guys kill a big one, it pisses me off. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, let's get past that, man." Yeah, yeah. sorry, I'm the bigger Share person. Info. <laughs> uh, well, and I, I, you know, I was like, "Well, you were on your place in your stand, yeah, good doing for you. what you yeah, were, you and good for yeah, you. You were doing your thing, and, and you know, and we happened. pushed him out of our property, and he came over and you killed him. Yeah, great. That, at that time, that was what we were doing. Yeah, interestingly. He and I eventually ended up having disagreements because I threw all the big buck rules out the window and said, we're just, you kill whatever deer you're happy you with. You adopted or never yeah. pass. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, right. And, and, oh yeah, no, that's one of the reasons I like you guys so much, you know, is that it's like, I want anyone who comes to this property for a couple of different reasons, but anybody who comes to this property and kills a deer, if they are happy with that deer, then I'm happy for that. That's good that. enough then. That's it. There doesn't need to be anything else to it, you know? That, there shouldn't be. That just brings a whole lot of joy to you, just the fact that somebody else is having some... They made a memory, and they're having fun doing it, and they're enjoying probably the company that they're with. It's what it's all about. And even that's a spectrum. People people get confused about our messaging. We, we do that to be abrasive, right? We do the... Yeah, you get a... The, the never pass stuff and, and, you know, oh, well... We say never pass on do whatever makes you happy. and Right. And it's, it's not to shame the people that are shooting big deer either. That, no. Like, that's it, also what made you happy. That's great. Do whatever makes you happy. And that's what you should do. Mm -hmm. You know, it, your version of happy is different than my version of happy. But I'm not going to shit on your parade because you didn't meet my expectations of happy. Right. Yep. It's If you have a problem with me, it's your problem. Right. It's my problem. And I can take it up with you. And we can go have a beer or a whiskey about it and, and just laugh it off. Yep. And that's what it should be. For me, it's important. I mean, I... Yeah, I try to keep my ego out of it as much as I can, but I realize that I have a a platform. I have a, a little box that I can stand on and talk about things. Mm -hmm. There's a bit and of a duty that goes along with that. I, I think so. There, I think there is. I think there's a duty that goes along with just taking in air and putting it back out, you know, just living. And I think that is, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not, it's not like I'm not a selfish person, but I hope that I'm becoming less selfish over time. And, um, but by having this platform and having this opportunity, I think these kinds of um, philosophical discussions are really important. And then we can get into specifics, you know, you mm -hmm. can start talking about specifics like, you know, chronic wasting disease and, and how did the doe derby help with chronic wasting disease? Well, the whole purpose of having the doe, the doe derby was to, to, to raise awareness to chronic wasting disease, hopefully kill some more awareness, um, 
your practicality actually killed some does. Yeah, killed some more does. the landscape. And you did share the land. People literally shared their land with us. Yeah. Well, with us specifically. Like, we well, came up and yeah. someone shared their land with us. And, you know, and the same here. And other landowners did as well. And um, for me, it, that uh, that was pretty gratifying. And so I, I like to try stuff. I mean, I've done... Boy, if there was ever, you know, that expression of, you know, jack of all trades and master of none, man, I, yeah, me and me both, brother. And that's, that's you know, very much of it. But I think that's kind of what's made my, my what's made life interesting to me. I don't know if it's made my life interesting, but it's made <laughs> interesting life interesting yeah, to me. To you, so you, get, you get bored of messing with one thing. Well, let's go mess with this yeah. and or figure can this it work out. here? If I've done this thing here, can I apply mm -hmm. it there? And like, can I have the similar result? Like there's, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but you've, you've done a good job of taking action. I think action is, is tricky for some people. A lot of things remain ideas and in their heads and they say it even out loud, but then nothing ever transpires. You've, you've put some solid people around you that have helped you move some of these things forward. That's, that's tricky to do. Some people don't fully know how to do some of that stuff, especially well, when you've literally never done it before. Well, I think that goes back to, you know, it's nice of you to say, first of all, but the other part of it is it's, it's, I think it kind of goes back to the philosophy that, like I said, I learned when I was eight or 10 years old from my dad, that how many deer they got, how, mm -hmm. how many the group got. Um, I think hunting has become a little bit too uh, individual, um, and that 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 you know I mean don't get me wrong it's it's way easier to not like covet big bucks when you've killed a couple you know but luckily right. you know, I was talking to Greg on the way up here and Greg Greg has shared knowledge with me shared like public land areas that he's done the research on. And that was a collective effort. He was willing to sacrifice that selfishness of, well, there's a big buck here. I'm going to get it. He's like, you know, what? I'm going to let Eric have an opportunity at this. You know, that's a big move. Oh, I think it. I I, I think it is. I I have a, an old and dear friend, and I love the guy like a brother. Don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. And I won't mention his name. He may listen to this podcast, and so he'll know who he is. Um, uh, old and dear friend. He was hunting here with me one time. And he goes, you know, Doug, I own this property and nobody else had hunted. And I was like, why? And he goes, because that's how you're going to kill big giant bucks consistently here. And it's not, no, it's not anybody that any of you people might no, be thinking. Okay, but that depends sure. on your goals. If that's your goal, then yeah. that's fine. And that's well, just it's, it. it's, I, to a certain degree, it's fine. Until it becomes a, it, because, because that can become an issue later. But anyway, it, it kind of made me, and I was like, huh, yeah, well, I get it. But I said, you know what? Uh, I want to say his name so bad. <laughs> but Bob. anyway, just uh, use the word Bob. Bob. The name Bob. Bob. Uh, close to Bob. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, then you you know if that was the case, you wouldn't be hunting here. And 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 he was here with his son hunting, and this has been some years ago. I um, mean, we were old old friends, and. Uh, you know, when he left, I was thinking about that, and I realized some bitch never invited me to come on his place. <laughs> no, <laughs> classic, not at all. Go figure. Huh? And he's got a whole room full of big giant bucks. Yeah. I mean, big giant bucks like that one. And uh, and okay, and and that's and that's cool, and I get it. And if that's okay with you, and he's with him, and he's managing his, the, he doesn't no longer has property, but I think he was managing it well and doing all of that. And yeah, all right. Human experiences are meant to be shared. There's a, a book into the into the wild, which became a movie. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. written no, I'm by, very uh, familiar. Yeah. You see, you know, so um, Christopher McKendall's, aka Alex Supertramp. Um, who's the author of that? 
Uh, John, uh, John Krakauer. Krakauer. Also wrote Into Thin Air. So he, somewhere in, in Christopher McKendall's diary, he wrote like something along the lines of doing this stuff by yourself isn't, doesn't matter. Like, so, so if you're going to have those experiences all by yourself, that's something, there's something there. That's great. That's good experience with you and nature and you're testing yourself and so forth. The shared experience, I think, is a bit more valuable. I think a spike buck with my daughter when she's old enough would be more important than however big that thing is on the wall by myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, the day that I killed, the, that's the standard, by the way, which has been, you know, talked about on Meat Eater and many photos. Many podcasts. And all that. <laughs> it's not that, many podcasts. That is a big, giant buck. Um, yeah. And it's large. funny, that, that deer was killed in a season that probably really shouldn't have been happening until CWD was a thing. Shouldn't have been happening. Um, or, should be, or, or in my case, I would say should be happening, because should be happening again now. Yeah, I killed that deer with a rifle on, mm. on Halloween. Yeah. Um, he would have also died with a bow because he was 30 yards away when I shot him. Even more, yeah. But anyway, uh, but yeah, but I can tell you, my nephew Sam was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. He was with his grandfather up in, a, in another stand when I shot that deer at 7.15 in the morning. And my friend, dear friend of mine um, and co-worker, we've worked together for quite a while, Corey was here. And it was the first time he hunted the farm, and he saw that deer laying there. He, the look on his my dad said, <laughs> "My dad said to him, I 'Don't worry, Corey. They're not all that big.'" <laughs> but also, my father, in his way, is like, "Okay, okay." We were taking pictures and stuff, and you know, we had a film camera, and he's he's like, "Okay," because it was two thousand and five. I mean, digital cameras existed. And uh, but we were taking pictures. Okay, 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 okay. You know, let's get go. Let's get this thing loaded up. But my dad had so much fun with that buck in the back he had a little chevy s10 he had so much fun with all that that's a big buck for a little truck too that's yeah but on the other hand my dad when i would have the when we were doing trail cameras and i would have them on i'm sitting Mm -hmm. around we're sitting around with you know everybody's hunting here i'm going you know this one's every time it had an antler on it my dad would go shooter Because he, he's, he we didn't... Call, every buck is a shooter buck in okay Sunderland, by the way. Well, right. And so my dad would love you guys. Do it, yeah. but, but he also knew and appreciated the big bucks too, you know? Of course. He, I, I mean, so it's all of that. Yeah. But if what your intention is, I mean, when I hear two things, one, well, you know, was, he'd have been, you know, my brother said this way back when, uh, it had been a nice buck next year. And that was sort of some of our philosophy. But boy, he would have been a little, you know... There's that, but when I hear that now, I mean, I hear like from a, that was that was more from a like from a position of love and mm-hmm. like, you know, Matt was just like encouraging that idea and, and um, it's a lot. Matt Pat Durkin, the first story Pat ever wrote about my me and my family and stuff is is about my brother and the whole nice buck next year thing, but uh, so there's always that balance of that, right? It's like oh, just shoot every buck that comes in front of you. Well. From a chronic wasting disease standpoint, maybe, but you know, you only get a buck tag. I, when I, when people are hunting here during the gun season, during the bow season, whatever time, shoot a buck. I want you also to shoot those does. I want you to shoot as uh, we are taking a lot of deer. We took 40 deer off of this farm this past year. And that didn't even make a dent, I bet. Well, if you, uh, 65 deer per square mile of habitat in, in Richland County is, you know, and, and we control between the farm that's 400 acres and the 30 and the other land that I control, that's, 
that's contiguous to us. It's about, it's about a section, about 640 acres. We killed 40 deer. If they're 65 per square acre, we took two-thirds of the deer off. We flew a, um, this is a whole other discussion, but I have trail cameras out like we were talking about before. But we flew, a, I also have a drone, and, and we flew a drone the other night, just to, the other afternoon, just to kind of get an idea of what was going on. And you drive around here, you know, the terrain and everything, you kind of get a feel for You can for see where deer are feeding in the fields. Oh, well, yeah, you can see deer and all that. And so, you know, on that same drive, you might see 35 or 40 deer. When we flew the drone, we saw 85 or 100. <laughs> wow. You know, in the same you know, 700 acres or whatever from right. where we were flying it and checking it and things out. And different deer. I mean, obviously, you're, that's that's also part of it. We shot, um, we, we did a bunch of hunting here the last weekend of the of the holiday hunt. Had some of my friends here from uh, just random friends, but also a couple of the guys from Vortex were here. And and uh, and they were digging it, you know, and they are helping. They are all into helping and stuff. And, and uh, we saw... On the last two days, we saw 65 deer on these hmm. properties. There was two groups of 30. It's like, well, they could have been the same deer. Well, no, one was, one group was on the southwest part of, of, of all of it, and the other was, I mean, there's a highway and everything else in between, and this was like eight hours apart, and the deer were going in opposite directions once we moved them. Um, but it was such a, it's such a fun thing to hunt that way too, with a group of people, and we're not, I mean, we're mooching, right? We're not, we're just going in there and running them out. We're, you know, you know, driving here, we're poking let, along, letting the wind do its thing, doing, and, and all of that, and it's and and um, that is also one of those shared experiences that you. And I'm not saying that you know getting out and bow hunting and spending that time by yourself because I love spending time by myself, it's intimate. hunting it's and intimate. doing everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of those intimacies are uh, are are. Uh, um, They're both good experiences. I don't mean to bash them. You know, the the one over the other. No, but. we're not. We're not solely. Hey, bow hunting is gospel and. I love my bow hunting, and I'm I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm I'm a better bow hunter than I'm a gun hunter. Is that right? It is true. I've shot more deer with my bow than I have with a rifle. That doesn't make shot. you a better hunter at one than the other. No, I don't. I don't know. If have it, you spent that, more time bow hunting than gun hunting? Probably. Yeah, if you look at well. the days spent afield, yeah, <laughs> it's you get nine days or however many days you want to take with including our antlerless hunts, our holiday hunts, and so on which I don't always partake in unless I'm in an area where like, for instance, we came here, right? There's a reason for it. And you and I have had this discussion yep. long before any of this conspired, but coming to this area, it's nothing to drive hayfield to hayfield in between cornfields and see 20 to 40 deer in there. And not a, one of them has antlers. That's a problem. And it's got to be addressed. Thank you for making that point. Right. One of the I think one of the big issues that we have in deer management in Wisconsin is that. Not that not our our the, the professionals at the Department of Natural Resources don't think this, but there are people who think that, well, this is what we have. To, we have to we have to have a structured season just in one way. You go up north and there's lots and lots of public land and few deer. Right. Whereas yep. when I when 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 I was a kid, that was exactly the opposite. Right. There were fewer deer down here. So and even I, when I was a kid, twenty, we'll say twenty five years ago, same thing. I could go up north and see plenty of deer, and be down here and maybe see five deer on one drive that the neighbors put on pushing their hundred and twenty, 
to our little 60 that we had permission on. Yeah. Well, and hunting has changed and people don't yeah. want to push deer and, you know, and people sit in their heated blinds and I do it sometimes too. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not denigrating any of this. No. I mean, I, I mean, and I think everyone should hunt their hunt and have that opportunity and all of that. But at the same time, um, I think it's super important that we think about what's best for the resource and that we work with and support the professionals who are helping us do that. Agreed. I was accused, actually, this is an interesting thing. I was accused by a wildlife biologist just yesterday of being an expert. On chronic wasting disease, I shouldn't say accused, but no, I mean like, they pointed the finger. We're going with that for a second. They, they so. said something. Well, no, they said, "Well, you are an expert, but you are an expert about chronic wasting disease." And I'm like, "Well, I, I uh, well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm pretty educated about it. But when it comes to experts, what I would do, like when I went on the Rogan podcast, and I took a, an expert with me. You did." Took Brian Richards, who's as you know as great an expert as there is on it, and I and I listen to all of these different people. Um, I understand that I am a a, a source for people, and I, I mean it's wonderful and it's gratifying. And thank you all very much who reach out to me about chronic wasting disease or this thing or the other. It's because you've digested enough of the information and you've had your hands in it here on this property and yeah, in your area. Yeah, no, I, I, I yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. But that doesn't. But I depend heavily on everything that I do in the experts. One of the things that I've learned that I learned a long time ago from one of the smartest men that I knew, which was a professor of mine in college, he said, Doug, you don't need to know. I was frustrated about my lack of knowledge about a particular subject. He says, you don't need to know. You don't need to be an expert. You're not the kind of guy who's going to be an expert about any particular thing because you're interested in so many different things. So I delve into a lot of different things, and then I become super interested in, in one, and that's one that I would become more and more. But what I learned along the way and what he told me was make sure that you learn how to research and, 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 under, and, and sort through the information and find the experts in those particular fields. And that is one of the things that I do. And I think that we as individuals and as we in this society need to put a little more faith in the Faith is the wrong word, but a little more trust in the experts trust. about about all this. And then reflect, look in that mirror again. <laughs> that says well, Some folks think the internet has made them an expert on various topics, yeah. but you study something for eight plus years. All we can do is recommend yeah. that they research it on the internet and then go apply it. Go try and apply it once and see how much of an expert you are. So we all have, but then, and then, and, and then be willing to ask yourself, and, and this is what I did a few years ago when it came to the whole putting aside the sombrero and the buck management level stuff that we were doing. It's like, if I'm going to call myself a conservationist. We got to throw off those shackles of, you know, it wasn't big enough. And we also had an, I, and Steve was here when it happened. I had an experience with one of the guys who hunted with us at the time. Um, who, you know, he shot, a, he was an experienced hunter and he shot a one antler year and a half old buck. And it's like, come on, man, at 50 yards. I'm like, come on. That, you know, wasn't the case. And he goes, well, I made a, I made a mistake. I said, dude, that was an egregious error. And, and, and we remain friends and it's all that sort of stuff. But it, it, you know, at the same time, it was like, well, wait a minute, I don't want to manage people anymore. Mm -hmm. And I, that was the moment where I went, I don't want to deal with that kind of shit anymore. Reassess I do not it. want to deal with that. And then at the same time, chronic wasting disease was getting closer and closer. And it's like, okay, we got to stop doing this. Because if you spend any time with the experts in the research about 
Oh, man, we go down density-dependent versus frequency-dependent disease, and it's both, right? So we need to lower the density of the number, reduce the population. I mean, we can kind of, there's all kinds of other diseases we can re- equate this to, but if we reduce the population of deer, there'll be less chance of them um, spreading it. Um, it. It reduces prevalence. It just does. And then if we, uh, if we uh, take out the deer that are most likely to spread it, or a, a certain percentage of them, uh, younger bucks, uh, they're the one. They're the ones who are taken into new areas. I don't know if I told you guys this about chronic wasting disease here, but we had our first five years ago. We had our first positive, and we were we had done stopped doing any buck management at the time. The first buck was a two and a half year old buck. Never we had trail cameras out. Never seen him before. He had very distinctive mm-hmm. antlers. His rack isn't in here, but um, the second one was this one right here. And I shot him a little while later. Yes, it's that one right there. Fork G2. Yeah, and Fork G2. Didn't have him on camera. How far, how many bars does a 21-year-old go to to find women that a 4-year-old never would do? They might go Four ten. Four got the one might, watering hole they go to, and if a, if a, if a cougar they might walks go in there, they miles. might be lucky, you know. They might but go thirty younger, miles. That younger guy, he's gonna he's gonna go to some places. Yeah, man, you know it's so you funny. Did you about read the article I wrote about no, that? For I, didn't didn't I actually <laughs> used that. I actually used but that it, analogy. The dating stuff. I used the dating analogy in, in last night's podcast too. It's just you, you know, it, it's interesting the human nature how it carries over some of these things but yeah young bucks gonna go a lot further yeah they're gonna and, travel and, more as will a young doe and it's all yep. of that and oh and 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 their drive is greater and and a young buck is uh, you know bucks are stamina. twice as twice as likely to have it yeah so interesting so that's the other component there so that's it, those are components of it mm-hmm. right so population and then and then the demographic so if you really want to fight um chronic wasting disease you need to reduce the population, and then you also need to attack a, a, a demographic. And in areas where it's already established, population control is particularly important, and demographic control is also important because your um, demographic referring to age, right? Of these demographic years. is the uh, uh, I'm sorry, population. Is, yeah, demographic is age and sex. So we're yep. attacking. Uh, region and and uh and if you're on the fringe and if you're on the fringe of a cwd area taking out younger bucks is good because you're keeping them from going down to your neighbors you know going mm-hmm. to the neighbors to the north and i don't mean your neighbor next door i mean your neighbor to the north of here and so it's really interesting to be involved with these conversations because again it's like okay there's science that backs it up and there's anecdotal evidence the first five bucks or five, i'm sorry the first five deer that we killed here that were cwd positive four deer out of a hundred Five deer, I'm sorry, out of a hundred and four years, out of a hundred and twenty deer. So we killed a hundred and twenty deer in four years, thirty deer a year. Five of them tested positive. Three of them were bucks. One was a year and a half old. Two were two and a half year olds, and the other two was a year and a half old doe, and the other one was a three and a half year old doe. Mm. The three and a half year old was in 2020, hmm. and I kind of went. Okay, well, let's see what happens next year. Yeah. This year, we killed 40 deer. We're talking about the one we were at, now at the Doe Derby, or well, just on the season in general? The, the, the whole season the, long. As, as a collective. Okay, the, the, the whole season. The, that was, yeah, I'm sorry. That was any bow hunters you put on the yep, land yep. and gun hunting? Uh, two bucks were killed. Two bucks and two does were killed by my bow hunters. Both bucks were CWD positive. Wow. Mm. One was a three-year-old, and one was a nice, one a really nice three-year-old, and another one was a nice two-and-a-half-year-old. Um, and both those were non-positive, not detected, which 
you know. But over the course of the season, we killed 40 deer. We killed um, 10 antlered bucks. Six of them were positive CWD. Wow. Year and a half old, two and a half year old, all the way up to a five and a half year old. Really nice. Just a beautiful 10 pointer that my buddy Chip killed. Um, CWD positive. Man. So seven out of 40, which is about 20%. You guys do mm -hmm. that math quick. It's about 20%. So we went from four or 5% over a uh, four-year period of time, all of a sudden up to 20% in one year, which is a little unsettling. Well, it means that tells me that CWD is established here. South of us, I've got, I, I have some friends and landowners who mm -hmm. are further south of us, closer to the real, and the bigger endemic area. That area is spreading. Well, problem is, is you have 65 to 70 deer per square mile. It's just, they're just spreading it and spreading it and spreading it um in this particular area this guy controls uh mike pernell is his name and he he they control 700 acres they've killed a lot of freaking deer down there a lot of deer and um and they were at um a positivity rate of over 50 percent across the board this year after killing a lot of deer their deer herd is younger mm -hmm. um they've killed they killed a couple older bucks every buck is positive Wow. Anything over a year and a half old is positive. Jeez. And, um, but they're down, they were down to a 20% positivity rate this year. So okay. They went from it. 50 down to 20. Yep. That's good. So, I'm sorry, last year. Now this year, they were down to 10%. And in your opinion, do you think it's ever going to be fully, you know, um, mitigated, you know, or what, where are we trying to get with this? So, it, let me break chronic wasting disease control down for you. If you don't have it, you don't want it. Mm -hmm. If you do have it, you want as little as possible. So we're trying to slow the spread or stop the spread. And if there's a big zone in between where there's CWD hasn't been discovered, well, let's keep it that way, right? And but do area, your testing to find out if it's there or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you are in an area where it exists, where I am, let's do what we can to reduce the prevalence as much as possible. A lot of reasons to kill deer here. I'm trying to regenerate red and white oaks, and that's a part of it too and so we're you know we're trying to keep that herd down <clears throat> it it takes it takes everybody to get involved with it and when you're in an area where 95 percent of the, pri the land is privately owned and and for whatever reason uh, i'm not interested in you know hunting to i want to have as many deer as possible because i hunt all the time to i'm trying to do something about chronic wasting disease those are all the different things that are a part of it so the only way that you can have some sort of um the only way that you can have some sort of uh, comprehensive program going forward is in, in by doing two things, educating people about it and then working with the agency who actually has control over it. Um, unfortunately, in Wisconsin, the legislature seems to think that they know more than the professionals about it. And so a lot of the tools that we used to have to be able to fight chronic wasting diseases are, are no longer available to us. Okay. Um, or to the to the um, to the DNR, um, so all of those all of those components are a part of this battle. So it's dynamic. It's very dynamic. It's very dynamic, and and you know anyone who's dismissive of it, then, then when I have that conversation with them, ah, it's not. If they don't know what they, let's, let's let's have that conversation. And if they don't want to have that conversation, well, then at some point I have to be dismissive of them as well, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, they're not willing to get uncomfortable to learn something new. So, well, and, and I'm interested in why do you think that? 
Sure. And then, I mean, I... I You're not I doing it to, to be an asshole. <laughs> Maybe, do it Maybe a, a jackass, but not even. But, Mike, I ask a lot of questions of those kinds of folks. Because you're trying and to understand. You you're just trying to understand. Try- you're, not, you're not being an, a jackass or an asshole. You're just I'm trying, trying to understand, understand and then trying to find a point where we can agree. Because that's where, I mean, I think that's one of the things that we se- seem to lose. We want to go into our corners. We lose it in so many aspects of life, it's not even funny. Yeah. And and so let's, how can we, how can we get to a place where we can, you know, where we can agree. I'm concerned about, the, I, I want to make sure that deer hunting is here for the next generation. Can we agree on that? I think we that? can yes. share that. Yep. I think that. that I don't have a, kids and I can say yes. Yeah. You'd be surprised about that one. Yeah. There's been some stuff. There's been some uh, social studies experiments or, or, uh, done where people tend to be concerned about their experience and. That's it. Don't yeah. care. And it's not, that's not a majority, but it's a but bigger whatever. percentage mm-hmm. than what you would like to think there so would be. So to bring the plane in for a landing, um, which is a phrase that I like to use that someone else shared with me at some point, uh, what, what is the action folks can take in, in one of two ways? So it'll be a little bit of a, a landing here because it's not going to, we're not going to wheels down and immediately hit the runway, but I understand we're going to start to bring it in. The relationship between, what can I do? to take my part in conservation. We talked about a little bit. So rehash that. But then also in, in CWD, in, in what can we do? What can, what can people listening, we have people all over the place. We've got a huge audience in Pennsylvania. we got folks all over the country. we got a big, you know, uh, population of listeners here in the Midwest and Wisconsin. So keep that in mind a little bit that everyone's purview is a little bit different. Yeah. But by and large, what, what are some of the actionable items folks can do to participate? Like, so for us, I'll just add that for, for okay, as Hunter, at least, we're a 2% certified brand uh, for conservation, which just means that someone is verifying that, A, our money that we get from sales is in, in revenue is 1% of revenue is going to conservation efforts and 1% of our time, which is like, I forget the amount of hours off the top of my head, but it's like 20 hours for the year. So like that Tyler and I have to volunteer to mm. give back to the land. So we're doing those things. And then someone verifies it. We have to get like notoriety of these things and so forth. Um, so it's a little bit of our part, you know, and if you're buying our merchandise, then you're taking some small part in that, or you're voting with your dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think actions is speaks louder than money. Not everyone has the time to, to donate. Like maybe Greg got to get chainsaw certified. If I don't have that kind of time, I can use my dollars to make some things happen. I think, you know, that's an exchange time for money, money for time. Um, but folks that are listening, what, what can you do to help prevent CWD, prevent the spread, reduce the herd? Um, I'll stop talking so you can <laughs> keep rambling on. I ask Shut questions up. in a weird way. No, I, 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 yeah, I, and we all know I do this. No, you're good. I think those you're are, good, I, I think you're, uh, I, I see what you're doing, Captain. You're, there's the runway. Yeah. Uh, we're, 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 we're losing altitude and we're getting in close. Um, I'm going to start hand We can talk about them. chronic wasting disease specifically. Well, number one is hunt deer. Uh, another thing is, is if you're a landowner, um, consider no nah, don't consider it do it invite you know take more deer off your land if you're in a cwd area right especially i sure. mean be be aware of the numbers of deer and the and the and the location of the disease and the prevalence of it and be ready for it if you're in an area that doesn't have cwd be thinking about how can we make this deer let's think about healthy deer management so let's plan like that i think landowners should really consider healthy deer management. Can you talk about that for two seconds to derail you from the runway? I mean it because there's Frosters national deer were lines. Just there's, engaged, there's, folks. But there's some 
there's some QDMA and, and National Deer Alliance. Like, there's some things going on with. I've done some research on their websites to figure out what their mission is, and I've done this because I've been challenged by some folks in our community. So I wanted to arm myself. I think we get a conversation about this. That's why I ask about healthy deer management versus quality deer management. Well, as far as I'm concerned, they should be the same thing, right? Okay. Quality deer are healthy deer. Um, I, I'm afraid that, um, or actually I know in some people's minds, I don't mean National Deer Association, I know. And I mean, yeah, I'm not picking on anybody. I, I know, I, I mean, I know and am and, 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 and friends with most of the people there, uh, many of the people there, especially Nick Pinzotto, who's the, uh, I guess if you're friends with him, you should be able to pronounce his name. That names are hard. Words but, are hard. Um, uh, you know, who used to be the head of National Deer Association and, uh, and now QDMA and, and NDA have combined to become uh, NDA. Um, quality used to be big giant bucks, right? But as a part of, uh, that's what they, people thought, but a part of quality is also everything that goes along with it. And if you only remembered, let him go so he can grow from Quality Deer Management Association, you weren't getting the whole picture. Mm-hmm. It was population control, balancing the herd with the ecosystem, and then having a balanced demographic. Um, and those are all good things that we can that that we can move towards achieving. Where I might diverge from the QDMA idea is that when you're in a CWD area, especially um, that big giant bucks are going to be the ones who are most likely to have the disease. The older a deer gets, the more likely it is to have a disease. I mean, hey, man, I can tell you as a 63-year-old guy, the older you get, the more stuff goes wrong. Um, or, you know, it's just a matter It's yep. a matter of time. <clears throat> but, Things break down. But when you um, – and then, and then there's the philosophical part of it, too, is, oh, really, is that what you want to do? Why – that's not necessarily healthy deer. There's nothing – and I don't think any of these folks at uh, – Matt Ross or, or Kip Adams or any of those guys would at NDA would argue with me about this. There's nothing that we can prove that a big giant buck uh, provides to the biological, um, to the biology of deer that a year and a half old buck doesn't. I mean, it's just breeding, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no biological reason to allow to keep them on the landscape. And if there is a biological reason not to, a disease one, then we should be taking more of them off the landscape and not letting them necessarily get older. And they're, you know, you can imagine sitting in the in the chair of one of those guys that kind of built that whole association and brand on, on uh, quality being that at the end of it, we've got a balanced herd with big giant bucks in it because mm-hmm. they don't put a whole lot of... Well, little... there's somebody said, dude, this is a part of the equation I don't fully comprehend. And so I ask questions because I'm trying to understand. Yeah. Uh, which is trophy hunting isn't all bad. And and I feel reluctant to even say that, but I, I it, if that's the desire, the standard, right, that you have in your wall here, yeah. that's something that I would strive for. And that may keep me coming back to the woods because I might have an opportunity at something like that. So... At some point, that might be good for hunting and conservation because people are still buy licenses and, and tags and, and so forth and continue to engage in the quote-unquote sport and the experience. Um, that's, one, that's one component, though. There's also the meat and the experience, and there's a whole array of reasons one might hunt, but that seems to be a big draw for a lot of folks. It's At least on the entertainment side and TV and so forth, that's been the biggest thing is look at this big buck. 
you know. And if you want to kill big bucks like me, right. you need to do follow my yep. program and do my things my way and buy my products and do all that. And I get it. Mm-hmm. The Whitetail Industrial Complex, as my friend Ryan Callahan called it. Um, so is it all bad? No. But, no, it's not all bad because that but is that the stuff quality? does. Yeah. yeah, but is that quality? Healthy deer management. We need mm-hmm. to be talking about healthy deer management. Mm-hmm. Um, if we want this, this, this whole thing that we love, this tradition, this heritage, this legacy that we all love to be around for the next hundred years or so uh, or more, there needs to be more than just that, right? It's going to be more than one thing that's going to keep people there. The R3 movie you talked about uh, yeah. for a minute there, like recruit, retain, and, and reactivate. If we're going to keep this thing around, how are we going to do that? That's just one facet. That's just one part of it. And so here's the other part. Here's what I know about deer. I can't do anything about deer behavior. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything about deer biology. I can't do anything about it. Deer are going to do what deer do. And, and on that, I would agree with a lot of people who disagree with me about what I'm going to say next. What we can do something about is human behavior. And that is um, artificially uh, gathering deer in an area with a bait pile or with a salt lick or a mineral lick or any of that stuff. And so now you're artificially gathering them or unnaturally gathering them. That's something that a human did. The deer didn't do that. Yep, they still lick each other. Deer are going to do deer stuff. Yep, deer are going to do deer stuff. But let's not get them, put them in a position where they do more. But I don't even do food plots anymore. And I'm not talking about, I'm not saying that I'm against food plots because I understand the difference. But I don't even do those anymore. I'm just trying to have the most natural environment I can for my Hmm. um, deer, given that we're on a very highly manipulated landscape by man. Go ahead. Well, you kind of hit it already, but let's be honest, farming is bad for deer in this case. Because cornfields, I mean, I've got cameras on a, on a stretch of corn right now that's not picked, and I see probably eight different deer gnawing on the same piece of corn. Well, if, And if they had CWD, one of them had CWD, they're all getting it. Well, if they're, if they're gnawing at a, on a piece of, uh, on an ear of corn... Okay, and the next one comes by and takes more. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, I get it. But that's very different than a pile of, a, 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 you know, a 15-gallon pile of, of kernels of corn on, a, on the ground in a pile where they're all coming in and they're that one spot. At least at, one point, at some point, that, that cob is completely picked clean and it's sure. gone. Okay, so that's, that's one of the things. So it becomes a question of risk re- reduction. All right, so if we can... Don't introduce re- more reasons for them to get together around some sort of common interest like yeah, food. Yeah, Reduce some of that is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, even... I mean, it's funny to it say this, but, you know, I kind of got this notoriety, and I mean notoriety in the truest sense of the word, around this whole Buckman juice thing where I, you know, pee in a scrape or whatever. You can create that. You can create that mm-hmm. uh, unnatural gathering. Well, it's kind of a natural gathering because you're going to do that anyway. I tend to only now... Do it in, do it in places where they're already doing it themselves, mm-hmm. and uh, I do uh, the same thing. Oh yeah, I mean, and it works. It, you got to go to the you, bathroom. You do it well. once, <laughs> and it only takes one, and it's usually one of the younger ones that does it. They come in, do their thing, rub their face all over, gnaw on the branches, pee on the ground, and then it, it's like a food chain. 
the next you know maybe yeah. a year and a half a year and a half old buck does it then a two and a half and then a three and a half and then there's the the monarch yeah he decides to maybe come over there and check it out and maybe he doesn't piss on it but he rubs his face all over it to say yeah i've been here but we also understand that that's going to happen no matter what right there is no place that's whitetail hierarchy there is no place in the natural world <laughs> no matter how manipulated it is that a pile of corn is going to exist unless some dude put it there right and that's why baiting and 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 is there evidence? Yes, there's all kinds of studies. You can look it up, folks. Um, just like taking carcasses off the landscape, you can look it up. That if you take the carcass off the landscape, you've removed infectious material from the landscape that is no longer going to linger there. Yeah, maybe that deer left some stuff there, some prions and that kind of stuff there. But by taking that carcass away, you've taken the majority of it away. So everything is risk reduction. This is all risk reduction. What can we do? Once you've got it, you've got it. So if, when you have it, let's have as little as possible. Again, does it sound similar to anything else that's going on in the world these days? <laughs> let's do what we can to control it. Mm -hmm. um, I've spent the, most of my life in, um, in management of landscapes, of management of athletic fields, of management of land. And the number one thing that we talk about is management. It's not eradication. We talk about best management practices. We don't talk about eradication practices. Um, we, the, in in um, the use of even of like pesticides and that sort of thing, there's a, this phrase that you guys have probably heard, integrated pest management. So you're doing, you're assessing, you're constantly mm -hmm. assessing, you're, you're doing the things that you can to reduce whatever that pest is. Um, and in this case, it's chronic wasting disease, to reduce it as much as you can and then understand that you're managing it and that you're constantly assessing and doing that. And that's the nature of life. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, we're not just going to get to a point and everything's going to be okie dokie. Right. Doesn't matter what it is. Um, you know, invasive species, it's invasive species control. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, all yeah, do you of these. Take the, do you take the barnacles off your boat, you know, when you take it out of the lake and before you put in another lake? Are you, you taking drain the bilge water? Are you, you taking those zebra mussels off? Like you, you're doing that, right? You're in a fish because you don't want to transport those to another lake and create a different problem there. Responsible you, people just, are anyway. Well, sure. So did, this exists, like you said, all over the place. It's just another thing. It's interesting that the less tangible things, you know, a prion versus a, a zebra mussel. It's really hard. Yeah, it's, it's really it's hard when you can't see it. But I'll tell you what, fellas, I have seen it. Mm -hmm. I have seen sick deer. I have hey, you shared a video this past season yep. of one in the ditch. Yep. A I buck in the ditch missing his antlers and it... And laying there shaking. It's heartbreaking. It's, it's awful. I'd rather... Yeah. It's terrible. Um, so when I talk about chronic wasting disease, I think, well, why aren't animals right, animal rights activists concerned about chronic wasting disease? Because what it does to an individual deer is horrific. I'm concerned about the individual deer, but I'm also concerned about deer, right? Mm -hmm. The herd. Um, and all of that. Why aren't the animal rights people concerned about it? Well, some of them are. Okay. Um, but I do challenge them when I know some animal rights folks. Um, why aren't, you know, sh so they should be concerned about it, mm -hmm. right? Because if you're concerned about it, someone who's just worried about deer health should be concerned about it. 
because we want a healthy herd. You know, there's nothing stranger to than to drive through an area like south of here and realizing that there's about a 40 to 50% prevalence rate and you see 100 deer out in a field and go, half of those deer got a disease that's going to kill them at least in two years. And in the meantime, they're going to be spreading it to everybody else. And prevalence keeps going up. There's leveling off with population. And I mean, there are all these things. And a lot of it, Mm -hmm. shit, we're still going to keep finding stuff out about this for a long time because that's the nature of science. Right. We're going to do the best we can with what we got. If we could have invented the wheel on the first try, we would have invented, but iterations <laughs> happen. You, you, right, right. The, and that's process, science, you know, right? I mean, and that is, that's what science things. does. Mm-hmm. The data suggests this. Yep. Um, so if you're worried, if you're just interested in, in, in having a healthy deer herd and what's best for the resource, you should be concerned about CWD. And if you are concerned about big giant bucks, wanting big giant bucks around, you should be concerned about CWD because guess what? At some point, the herd will continue to get younger and younger, and that five-year-old buck is going to cease to exist. Hmm. Yeah, he'll be dying at two and a half. That's so it right. wasn't a meteor that killed the dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's an, you know, here's an example. Um, south of here, a friend of mine's property, he had a fawn, buck fawn test positive hmm. for CWD, and it was killed in the holiday hunt. Okay. So... All kinds of sciencey stuff around that. Like, okay, well, how long does it take him to, for it to show up? Did he have it? Did that fawn get it in utero? Did it from? Well, the first thing a mother, a deer, or any mammal does is starts cleaning its, you know. So did my have it right off the bat? Well, right, and it was CWD positive doe. And when does she get it? Well, right, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it turns out that what we're finding out, it takes a matter of months for it to actually show up to the point where it will test positive. So that's like when you get your CWD result back and says not detected. They're not saying it doesn't have CWD. They're saying it's not detected yet because it's not showed up in the lymph nodes yet. (laughs) This is a really interesting thing to start considering. So if we were actually able to test it more sensitively, we would find that probably prevalence is a lot higher. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But let's not dwell on that (laughs) Um, because that's too discouraging. But, but, but. If you want to kill big giant bucks, well, then you then you should be concerned about CWD too, because so everybody should be concerned about CWD. This mm-hmm. isn't that 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 difficult. From a from a if even if you're not a hunter, you should be concerned about it, because think about it from the possibility of it of the the possibility of it becoming a zoonic disease that transfers from deer to plants, to cattle, or to human beings. You know, I mean, because. Boy, has that ever happened it's before? It's in yeah. the soil yeah. and it's growing into my vegetables or my corn, or whatever. Whatever it happens, yeah. I mean, and and it's or, transmittable. It, it, exactly, it's a transmittable, you know, spongiform encephalopathy. Um, has not jumped yet, but that doesn't mean that it won't and that it can't. It's too deep so, of a topic for us to. Fully oh, dive dude! Into. I mean, we can again. We can compare it to something that's no going offense, on right Doug, now. We don't have the expertise in the room. Well, that's just it. But I would encourage people to spend that time. <laughs> to you learn. can go to mm-hmm. cwdinfo.org. Mm-hmm. It's a great and it's the mule deer. Uh, it's uh, the, mule, uh, the mule deer association, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, the National Deer Association. I mean, everybody who you can think of. Uh, every organization you can think of that is concerned about the cervid population supports that website. Hmm. That's a great place. The other place you can find it is you can go to DougDuran.com, and I have a CWD page there. And that's the first place that I send you, but I've got some other stuff on there. And sure. You send some of that every man kind of, yeah. you know, some articles that I've written. And, and, it's uh, good to dumb things down a little bit. 
Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know if I dumb it down. <laughs> I, I say it in a way that I don't understand. The professor that taught math should have been teaching math. I was like, you, you're too smart to be teaching this, man. You got it. You're not making it Barney style enough for us. Yeah. We're not getting it. That's exactly right. That's, That's good. exactly right. So those are, I mean, so, so being involved, being concerned, understanding, and just understanding that's part of what conservation is. And then being someone who, um, conservation really is about, you know, contributing. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that contribution is taking it. So like I said, with sharing the land, access has value, acknowledge that. Landowners, you need help, you want help. You really have an obligation. I remember Leopold saying something like, and I guess this is what I would leave you with. Leopold said something like that conservation, as he was talking about the Midwest, um, conservation will ultimately come down to the private landowner being rewarded for conserving the public's resources. And that's where a lot of the, like the NRC, the Natural Resource Conservation Service, and a lot of the programs that help private landowners um, do conservation work on their their land. What I kind of thought about with that is, well, what opportunity do I have as a landowner to um, to encourage the public to continue to support that and get something out of it as well? And that's really what sharing the land hmm. has become. So, is it sharingtheland.com? dot com? Where do people it go is, for that? It is. Uh, it is sharingtheland.com. dot com. Okay. And uh, actually, I'll be um, our public first public. Um, big kickoff. Um, the Doe Derby was our first event, but I'll be speaking about it at Pheasant Fest in uh, Omaha, Nebraska in March. And uh, we'll continue to have events here. And we have a website up now. There's an Instagram page, and there is my website, dougduran.com. And I also have an Instagram page. You can follow me there. But ultimately, sharing land will ha- is going to be a meeting place for landowners and access seekers to. Um, to get together and and we're we have we're modeling sounds like a good resource yeah it's going to be a good resource that's exactly what it is good job both that folks this is a big episode it's a long episode (laughs) thanks for hanging in there with us we could probably do more of these we 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 got we'll we'll make some other trips up here yeah you guys seem comfortable here so you know maybe (laughs) it's our kind of place cool all right thank you